Hey there, guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Cambia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Cambia Show on YouTube. This is the episode that was recorded on Friday, May the 15th, 2020, titled Captain Pike's Star Trek Discovery Spinoff Announced. And remember, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also send in a tip and a question to be on the live questions part of the show simply by going to the tip link in the description of this podcast by simply going to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. And for now, let's get to the show. Let's get on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Diamond Dog's Puppy, who writes, Good day, John, Rob, and the rest of the crew. Well, it's just me today on this Friday. I just read on Variety that Call Me By Your Name and Suspiria director Luca Gardagnino signed on to direct the Scarface reboot from Universal Pictures. The Coen brothers wrote the last treatment for the upcoming film script. Al Pacino's 1983 Scarface remake was markedly better than the original 1932 version. Question is, do you think the trend continues and the newest Scarface story will be the best yet or lightning won't strike, strike twice, Diamond Dog, over and out. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And yep, they've been talking about it for a few years. Now, you may have forgotten, but we've actually been talking about the possibility of a Scarface, yet another Scarface reboot, because as he pointed out, Al Pacino's is itself a reboot. But they were talking about doing another reboot of Scarface for years. A number of years ago, uh, David Ayer was supposed to direct it, the guy who directed Suicide Squad. Uh, Then after that, for the longest time, Antoine Fuqua, who I think is a tremendous director, was on and he was supposed to direct it. And then that kind of fizzled away. And now we've got the director for Call Me By Your Name. This is what we get from Variety. Who writes, uh, 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 God Dagnino, I always mispronounce the name, has spent the majority of his career directing prestige films. So Scarface would be the closest he's come to making on a tentpole film. He most recently helmed a remake of Suspiria, which I know a lot of people who really liked, actually, for Amazon Studios, which starred Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton, and Chloe Moretz. Prior to that, he directed the Academy Award-winning drama Call Me By Your Name, which was stupid great. You had uh, Timothy Chalamet in that. You had... um, Oh, why am I forgetting the guy's name who's, who was supposed to play Batman? I'm freezing on his name right now. But anyway, had him in it. I like, Army Hammer. That's it. Army Hammer was in that fantastic movie. Anyway, which earned him an Oscar nomination. So that's what we're getting on this. And all right, listen, I can already hear a lot of the groans, which are, why are you going to remake Scarface? Why? And we've been through this conversation when they tried to get this thing going again. And listen, admittedly, Trying to remake something like Scarface is a tall order. Scarface is considered to be one of the, well, coolest movies ever made. Like in the realm of cool and movies that are cool, Scarface is just kind of considered to be maybe like the coolest film ever made in history. And a lot of people love that. It's beloved. It's a classic. Al Pacino, of course, it kind of made him another, like just took his name to another level at the time, understandably. But, you know, to the people who would say, Oh, you know, remakes never turn out good. Don't forget that Al Pacino's version was indeed a remake in and of itself. Right now, it had been a lot of years. But I also think that Scarface, when you look at culture today and you look at where we're at today, if you could take the story of Scarface and transfer that now to a modern context instead of an 80s context, what would that look like today? That could be interesting. You put it into the hands of a guy like Luca, who has proven he is incredible at telling great narrative. 
I think there are a lot of pieces of the puzzle here that could equal something really good and really special. Listen, this movie, as much as any other, has the potential to be absolutely terrible. No doubt about it. But they're getting a world-class director on it. It's a world-class pre uh, premise that has worked in different eras already. And I think there's a good argument to be made that something like that could translate just as well today, if not even better. By the way, one of the differences is instead of taking place in uh, Miami, it's going to take place in Los Angeles. That's going to be one of the keys, which I guess if it was today, it probably would take place in Los Angeles. So listen, could this be a mistake? Yes. But I think it's also something worth trying. I think there's enough potential here that it is worth the attempt. Now, everybody's going to hold their breath and wait to see who they cast in this movie. There was some talk at some point about a Michael B. Jordan, which the guy's an Academy kind of level actor, so that wouldn't have been bad. But I got a feeling that Luca may want to go out and get his own actor for this. Who that'll be, I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see. But for right now, I got to tell you, for me, I think there's some potential here. I think there is some potential here. So let's see how this all turns out. Question is, guys, what do you make about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Mobius. And Mobius writes into us, hey, John, I just heard uh, that a Percy Jackson series is in the works. I know you didn't like the movie. Actually, I did like the first Percy Jackson movie, as a matter of fact. Uh, I know you didn't like the movie, but I love the first movie and thought the second one was eh, good enough. I love the books as well, and I would love to see this show get made. Apparently, they're saying each season would be based off of each individual book, which makes sense, but seems really cool. What are your thoughts about this? All right, thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And yeah, as a matter of fact, I like the first Percy Jackson movie. I enjoyed it. I mean, like, was it Harry Potter level? No, maybe not quite, but it was an enjoyable little film. You got Sean Bean in there as well. I thought Logan Lerman, it was kind of, that was our discovery of him. And I think he's a really solid actor. Speaking of David Ayer, he was in that uh, war movie with Brad Pitt and David Ayer's war movie about the tanks with him and Shia LaBeouf. Anyway, he was really great in that too. Moving on. Um, I like that first film. Now, I did think the second film was a bit of a step backwards. Granted, I thought the second film was a bit of a step backwards. But yep, they're moving forward with a series on this thing. And it was announced by the author of the books himself. This comes to us from our friends over at The Hollywood Reporter, who writes, The Lightning Thief and the second book in the series, Sea of Monsters, were previously adapted as feature films at 20th Century Fox, which is now owned by Disney. The picture starred Logan Lerman as the title character, a boy who discovered that he is the son of the Greek god Poseidon. And Alexandra Daddario, when she was just young, everybody, before she was getting naked in True Detective, she was in Percy Jackson, uh, Alexander Daddario as Annabeth, another demigod. Uh, the movies aged up the character somewhat, with Percy as a 16-year-old rather than a 12-year-old, as he was in the beginning of the book series. Uh, uh, Riordan, that's the author of the books, wrote on Twitter that the potential series will be a more faithful adaptation. So I'm gathering that by saying that it's going to be a more faithful adaptation, what I'm guessing he means by that is, whereas the movie version, like they said in the article, are aged up to 16, you're probably going to see a younger kid. So this is going to be going to Disney Plus. Makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you what. I think this is a fabulous idea. I think the sounds of this are wonderful. I think this sounds really great. Listen, Disney right now needs some popular 
high concept, high fantasy kind of material on their network right now. And I think something like a Percy Jackson series could offer that. Now, look, I'm not going to pretend that I've read the books. I never did read the books. But having seen the first couple of movies, I know there's a lot of potential there. And it does scratch a particular itch, right? Young heroes, magical world, all that, a lot of fantasy adventure kind of stuff. That's a particular itch, and that's the type of stuff Disney does really well. I think this is good source material if the movies are anything to go off of, and I think this can work really well. Now, look, can they actually pull this off, though? Can they take something that's higher concept and make it feel movie quality? Because right now, those of us who have seen Percy Jackson... Our impressions of the film are on the big screen with big budgets. I mean, they weren't the biggest budget with that type of production budget. Will they bring that to the TV show or will they cheap out on it? That's going to be one of the big questions. But as far as pure source material goes as being a good potential for something that could turn into a real worthwhile series, I think Percy Jackson has it. Again, just like anything else, it could go south, much like the second film kind of went a little bit south. But I think the potential is there to do something really nice. It's got an already built-in following of people who know the novels, not on Harry Potter or Hunger Game levels, but still, you've got a very loyal following the books. You've got a well-plotted-out five, I can't remember, five or six books? I think there's five anyway. So there's five seasons right there. They seem to have the plan to go. Each book will be one season. I don't know. To me, it seems like a no-brainer. Disney bought an awful lot of IP from Fox when they took them over in that merger, and they need to start diving into that IP and start creating their own original content and start getting some value out of that. And by the way, you guys know I've been a little bit frustrated with Disney+, Plus, considering how little original content they've been putting out. So anything that has them putting some good content on the network that's original, I'm all for. So guys, what do you think? Are you fans of Percy Jackson? Maybe you are, maybe you're not. What do you think about the idea of doing a show like this do you think they're making the right decision by making percy younger like he is in the books or do you think they should make him a little bit older like they did in the movies i want to know what you guys think jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's move on to main topic number three and our third main topic today gets submitted to us by sam sprill who writes it looks like Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson's superhero movie Ball and Chain is going straight to Netflix. I'm surprised by this because I thought it would get the theatrical treatment. Now, Oscar nominee Emily V. Gordon has secretly joined the project to adapt the comic. Do you think that this is a good move? Thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, for those of you who might have missed out on this before, we talked about this last week. Now, we all know that Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt have a movie coming out, Jungle Cruise, which was... Actually, was it supposed to be in theaters already? I, I can't remember, but it got bumped to 2021, so we're going to have to wait a while. Clearly, these two really enjoyed working together because they've decided to do another film together called Ball and Chain. So this is what comes to us from the folks over at Joe Blow who writes, Netflix has landed the film based on the four-part comic book published in 1999. Netflix was viewed as an early frontrunner for the film, which generated a lot of interest and buzz due to its fun concept and high-profile stars in Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. The script from The Big Sick co-writer Emily V. Gordon, and The Big Sick, you guys know, is one of my favorite movies of the last few years, follows Edgar and Mallory Blunson who have decided to throw in the towel on their marriage. Separation is all but certain until 
a mysterious meteor bathes the battling couple in extraterrestrial energies that give them superpowers. The only catch is the superpowers only work if they can learn to put aside their differences and work together. So that comes to us from Joe Blow. Now, that was something that we were talking about on the John Campy show when they first announced that they were going to be making this movie. It wasn't clear yet where the movie was going to go. But this whole concept of getting Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt, who, by the way, their chemistry together on screen, at least from all the previews and the clips that I've seen from Jungle Cruise, they've got a really good comedic chemistry together. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing them in that one movie. But you pair them up like this, a battling married couple who are getting ready to split but they get superpowers with powers only work if they're together and, and getting along. I don't know the comic graphic novel. I haven't read the graphic novel myself, but just hearing that concept with The Rock and Emily Blunt in it, I'm sold. Now, the idea of it going straight to Netflix, I've got to tell you, I'm not surprised because like Joe Blow mentioned in their article, uh, this was, they were kind of considered the front runner already. As a matter of fact, Dwayne Johnson's got another movie coming out called Red Notice with him and uh, Ryan Reynolds and a couple of other people that's coming out. And that one's going straight to Netflix. Netflix is putting up a lot of money right now for original content. They are staying well ahead of the game of Disney Plus and even like Hulu and even Amazon right now. And Amazon's doing a pretty good job cranking out original content as well. But Netflix is really staying like five steps ahead of them. They are constantly investing in brand new content, new movies, new TV shows, all that kind of stuff. Now, listen, all that aggressiveness comes with a price tag. And that price tag has been that they have had a lot of debt. Netflix, we talked about this on the show the other day. They are now upwards of over $15 billion in debt is Netflix. But that's part of their plan. The plan is they need to stay ahead of everybody else. They now don't just want to be known for great television. They want to be known for great movies. They had a lot of success with Extraction, although I've got my issues with that movie, but whatever. They still enjoyed some success with it. And they've got The Rocks, a movie with The Rock coming in Red Notice. Invest in this one as well. It just seemed like that's where it was going to head. Does it tell me anything about the movie or the script or whatever by the fact that other major studios didn't try harder to get it? I don't know yet. I don't know. Like, on the one hand, I think, wow, Netflix just really went all balls out to get this movie. But on the other hand, is it more that, wow, like Warner Brothers and, and other distributors, they just didn't think it was worth that much to really put up a fight for it. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All I know is that the concept is strong. Netflix has been very aggressive about trying to acquire projects like this. So we'll see how this all turns out. I'd be lying, though, if I didn't tell you I was really intrigued. I'm really intrigued by this, and I'm excited to see it, and I can't wait to see how they pull this whole thing together. Anyway, guys, question is... What do you think about the sounds of Ball and Chain? I think it sounds like a lot of fun. What do you think about it going straight to Netflix? A lot of people were predicting it was. Did it surprise you? Did it not surprise you? Jump down to the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Kyle Wilmore, who writes, I don't know about you. But I think Entourage's Ari Gold is one of the best television characters of all time. He is a terrific character. Jeremy Piven crushed the role, and ever since Entourage ended, I've always wished we could see more one day. 
Well, it sounds like I may get my wish because today Jeremy announced on Instagram that he has been asked about coming back for an Ari spinoff show with, of course, his ever, ever faithful assistant Lloyd. What are your thoughts on Ari's possible return? All right. Thanks a lot for sending this in, man. And listen, I got to tell you, your email, Kyle, was the first I had heard of this. As, as a matter of fact, I, at first I thought maybe you misread that somewhere because I had heard nothing about that. But thanks to your email, I did some digging and lo and behold, you're right. He really did. This is what Jeremy Piven had to say. This comes to us from an article in Newsweek, which wrote, yes, this is P Piven's words. I have been asked about doing a spinoff for Ari Gold, Piven said in a video Barstool Sports shared on Twitter on Thursday. And I want to put it out there to the people. Is that something you guys might be interested in? I just want to know. We will figure out a hashtag, he added. Might I suggest hashtag go for Ari Gold, Mr. Piven? Piven also mentioned that if a spinoff happened, he'd bring along Lloyd, Ari's assistant slash protege played by Rex Lee. And by the way, one of my favorite things ever in Entourage was the dynamic between Ari and Lloyd. I just, that was just one of the most fun things. And there's a lot of things about the Entourage show that I always liked and I always enjoyed. But the dynamic between Ari and Lloyd has to be in the top two things, two or three things that I enjoyed most about that program. All right, so, so let's get into this for a second. It has been a while since Entourage has been on TV. And they even did a movie for Entourage years after the show ended. And to my surprise, it didn't do very well at the box office. People did not go out and support the movie, which is too bad because I thought the movie was really good. Quite frankly, I thought the Entourage movie was really fun. It was completely true to the spirit of the show. It was just a really good time at the movies. But not everybody agreed, and not a lot of people ran out to go see it in the movie theaters. I guess, I don't know if more people just thought, eh, we saw it on television already. We see it for free on TV. I don't need to run out to the movie theaters to go see it. But I'll I tell you, the movie was actually pretty damn good. As a matter of fact, if you have not seen that Entourage movie, I'd say it's worth it. You know, take if you got some free time Sunday afternoon, pop it in. I think you might have a good time. Not like one of the great comedies of the last decade or anything, but I think certainly worth your time. And I think you'll have a good time with it. At any rate, would I be down for Jeremy Piven coming back to play Ari Gold in, an, in a spinoff of some short, sorts? Hell yes. He was fabulous in that role. The character's fantastic. And I've already said I love the dynamic between him and Lloyd. But if I were a studio executive... Would I actually greenlight a series? And I'm not sure that I would. Like I said, it's been a long time since Entourage was actually on TV. And then they did put out a movie. And not a lot of people came out to support it. Now, you might make the argument, as I've sort of alluded to here, that, you know, maybe just people were used to being able to watch Entourage for free on television. They didn't want to go out and pay for it to see it in a movie. Maybe. Or maybe just people over time lost interest in Entourage. So I'm kind of split-minded on this. On the one hand, I'm like, absolutely, I want to see this show made. I absolutely want to see this show made. On the other hand, I don't know if they actually greenlight it. I mean, I, I don't know. Despite what Jeremy's saying, I mean, clearly there's people having interest in it. But a lot of shows have interest in them and they never come to be. So I want to put the question to you guys. 
What do you think about this whole idea? I'm all for it. I would love to revisit this character and the crew that surrounds him, maybe throw in some cameos here and there of the original Entourage crew, whatever. I am all for it. I just have my doubts it'll happen. What do you think? Do you like the idea of them doing it? And do you think it'll actually happen? Those are two separate questions. They might have two separate answers. So what do you guys think? Jump down to the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right. With that down and out of the way, let's now move on to main topic number five. And our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Randy Mitch, who writes, Hey, John, I've loved Star Trek Discovery, and I especially love the second season with Captain Pike. Wondering if you saw the news this morning that CBS has officially announced a new series with, with Ethan Peck, Anson Mount, and Rebecca Romaine all coming back to play Spock, Captain Pike, and number one in a show they're calling Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I love it. What do you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Strange. First of all, let me say this. I love the title. I think the title's awesome. Strange New Worlds. That's kind of a throwback to Captain Kirk's intro narration over the uh, opening, uh, the opening title sequence of the original Star Trek series. This is Strange New Worlds. So I love the title. At first, I, I like. I thought they should call it Star Trek Pike or Star uh, Star Trek. I don't know, whatever. But when I read the title at first, I was like, Strange New Worlds sounds kind of funny. And then I thought about it for a second. I'm like, No, man, that's that's perfect. That's a really good title. Anyway, before I get into my thoughts on this, this is the, the actual news that comes to us via the good folks over at Deadline who writes, with a title lifted from part of James T. Kirk's beloved introduction to the original Mother Show, the third full live action show in the Alex Kurtzman pioneered Trekverse after Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard will feature Ethan Peck, Anson Mount, and Rebecca Romaine reprising their respective roles from season two of the Sonequa Martin Green-led Discovery. So they've done it. Now listen, at the end of star trek discovery season two a lot of people speculated and were like calling for we want to see a captain pike spinoff anson mount who i had only ever really seen playing black bolt in um in the inhumans which was awful like absolutely dreadfully awful but that's the only thing i had ever seen him in and he was pretty good but he never spoke right that's the only thing i'd ever seen him in so when he came on to Star Trek Discovery as Captain Pike, I'm like, okay, what's he going to do? I loved him as Captain Pike. I thought he was fantastic. And I thought Rebecca was fantastic as number one. I liked the new Spock. Actually, I preferred the new Spock with the beard and everything than when he shaved. But whatever, that's a, that's a side topic for another time. I really loved him. And so I was joining in with a lot of other people who were saying, you got to do a spinoff show with this Enterprise crew. You've got to do one with this Enterprise crew. And I was all for it. Now, listen, I'm not going to pretend I loved everything about season two of Discovery, like everything like with the time crystals and stuff like that, like that, that was just a whole lot of nonsense. That was just a whole lot of nonsense. I didn't like that part, but overall, I really liked that show and I really liked him as Captain Pike. And with the main cast of Discovery and the, the Discovery itself being flung into another time and all that kind of stuff, it leaves a lot of open storytelling to be told in that time frame that they were currently inhabiting. I love it. Now, listen, not everybody loves what they've done in the Star Trek verse on CBS All Access up till now, right? Not everybody loved Star Trek Discovery Season 1. Not everybody loved Star Trek Discovery Season 2. Not everybody loved Picard. I did. 
Uh, not that I liked everything about them. I do have some issues with all three of those seasons. I do. But overall, I thoroughly enjoyed all three. And for them to now announce doing this, it's, I got to tell you, it's just good news to me. You know, there's something about what Anson Mount brought to that Pike character was without acting anything like William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk, there were certain elements of James T. Kirk in that Pike, which I thought were great. Hardcore Starfleet to the core, but very much a bit of a rebellious cowboy all at the same time. And I love that in this incarnation of Picard, or Picard, uh, in this in incarnation of Pike, because it reminded me a little bit of that James T. Kirk from the original series. And there's something about that that really worked for me. I love the number one character. Of course, they used that character in the original series uh, in its pilot episode that never got aired until later on in the show. So I think this sounds great. I wish Robert Meyer Burnett, who it's, it's his birthday today, by the way. So happy birthday to Robert Meyer Burnett. I, I'm going to give him a call a little bit later. But I'd be very curious. I wish Robert was here with me right now because I'd be because, you know, Robert's not a big fan of Discovery or of Picard. So I don't know if he'd be. But I think he kind of liked the Pike character in season two. I think he did kind of like that character. So I'd be curious to know how he feels about this. I, I don't know. Maybe he hates it. Maybe he loves it. I don't know. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that hate it and a lot of people will love it. Question is for you guys. Which camp do you fall into? Do you like this news? Are you like, yes, that character was so great in Discovery Season 2. Cannot wait to see what they're going to do. Or are you in the other camp that's like, you know what? The, the new Star Trek stuff on CBS has not worked for you. It has not worked for you, and you're not going to get excited about anything new until it proves that it should get you excited about it, which is a totally reasonable thing, too. How are you guys feeling about it right now? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all of that down and out of the way, we're now going to move on to your live questions today. And there's two different ways to send in live questions if you'd like. The first and best way to do it is to use the tip link that you can see the link in the top of the description of this video. You can just go and click on that or you can just use streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. There, you're going to see the form you can fill out. You leave a tip, you're supporting the channel and getting your question all at the same time. If not, you can just use the super chat feature right here on YouTube as well. Now, before we get to those questions, I am going to take a short break here for just about two minutes. Going to rest the vocal cords, stretch the legs, refill my drink a little bit, and then we will be right back. So guys, don't go anywhere. We will be right back with your live questions. Guys, thank you for your patience and indulgence as I took a little bit of a break there. And now let's jump into and start taking your live questions. And we're going to start, of course, with the tip link questions that people sent in. We're going to separate them out and we're going to get things started off here with Star Wars Rocks, who writes, uh, where are we at here? Hey, John. Have you ever heard of a Studio Ghibli film a movie called From Up on Poppy Hill because it's a really good movie? You know what? Honestly, no. I'm not, un unless I have and I'm forgetting about it. To be honest with you, I, I don't recall that title. I'm going to have to go and look into that because I, I like to think I've seen most of their films, but that's one that I'm not recognizing off the top of my head. Thanks for putting that on my radar, man. I'll make sure I go check that out. Thanks for that, Star Wars. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, Yesterday, I mentioned it being Gladiator's 20th anniversary this week. To me, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. You're not alone in that. Uh, the acting, music, and production still blows me away. It even has one of my favorite endings, the shot of the setting sun over the Coliseum to my favorite piece of Zimmer music, Now We Are Free. I was wondering, what were your feelings when you 
saw it when you saw it all those years ago and did you think at the time it would become an all-time great two decades later thank you john for taking my question and helping me through this tough time and may what you do in this life echo forever in eternity that's a great strength and honor my friend strength and honor listen i remember here's the funny thing the first time i watched gladiator i still remember where i was i, I went to this this um, movie theater, this really inexpensive movie theater in Saskatoon where matinees were like $3. I don't know why, like every other theater was like 12 bucks, but the matinees were $3 at this little, little tiny theater in this little mall, right? And me and some buddies went to go watch it. And I remember coming out of it, having really enjoyed the movie, I really liked it, but I was a little disappointed because I wanted to see Maximus escape, because remember the plan was he was gonna escape, go get his army and then march on Rome with his army to overthrow Commodus, right? And when that didn't happen, I was a little bit bummed out about it. It's like, oh, but I still really liked it. I still really liked it. And then I saw it for the second time. And the second time I watched it, it cemented itself as, this is gonna end up being one of my all-time favorite movies. And to this day, Having seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies since, it's still a movie in my top 20. Gladiator is still a movie in my top 20. It's just such a wild impact. And it's one of those movies that you can't help but stop and watch as you come across it if it's on TV or something. Uh, but I love that movie. And the music's incredible. Uh, Russell Crowe won an Academy Award for that. Of course, won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It's just a powerful film that I love to this day. And it stands up great. You could release that movie today and it would be it would win Best Picture today. I mean, it's just so well done. I just love it. Thanks so much for that, James. And I'm glad you enjoyed the movie that much. All right, Stubble McShave writes, Endgame and Avatar made more or less just as much bow... Endgame and Avatar made more or less just as much in the theaters yes they did i mean they were only separated by like 70 million dollars or seven million. i can't remember some tiny amount of money however as endgame was heavily front-loaded compared to avatar it probably means the studio made substantially more from endgame since the split of the box office favors the early showings that's probably true see what stubble is referring to is when a movie first opens in theaters like in its opening weekend the studios keep the vast majority of the money at the box office, the vast majority of it, like upwards of 90% they keep. And, and there have been examples where studios have forced movie theaters to play their movies with none of the box office. Like I remember when Phantom Menace came out, most movie theaters made zero off of the ticket prices. They made zero money the first weekend or maybe even the first week that Star Wars The Phantom Menace was out in theaters. Um, and you know, the, the theaters just had to deal with it because you know they don't call the shots uh, and they try to make up as much as they could with the concession stand. Now, the longer that a movie plays in the theaters, the more the percentage or the share swings more towards a little bit better into the movie theater's favor, right? So maybe on opening weekend, the studios keep 80%. Well, maybe in week two, now the studios keep, you know, 70%. Then maybe in week three and four, it's 50-50. Then maybe in week five, it's like 40, 60 for the theaters, right? Now, of course, the vast, most people go to see the movies in their opening week or two. 
So that still plays very heavily to the favor of the studios. But you're right, Stubble, that's something I hadn't really considered, that the studio itself probably took home a lot more money because Avatar didn't make, you know what? Avatar didn't even make $100 million in its opening weekend. Avatar made something like 70-something million dollars, uh, around $70 million in its opening weekend. That's crazy to think about. Like the all-time biggest box office movie of all time un until Endgame, only made about 70 something million dollars. It made a lot of its money on the back end, which favored more to the theater's share, right? So that's actually a really good observation, Stubble. All right, the real Michael Myers writes, Hey, John, I know that you're not interested in the new Justice League Dark animated movie, but here's an interesting fact. In the behind the scenes, it was said that the movie story was, a vi was, was the vision for Zack Snyder's DCEU. Yeah, and I question that because here's the thing. We we've heard a lot of stories in movies and in Hollywood about this was so-and-so's vision when really there was a part of it that was in line with the vision. So I, I take any statement like that, uh, Michael, with a grain of salt. I take any statement like that with a grain of salt because like, what do you mean by it was his vision? What do you mean by that? Was one of the characters backstories part of the vision? Was the entire intricate plot point by plot point his vision? Was it kind of based on a one paragraph idea that he had and they based it on that? Like it could mean any one of a million things. So I don't get too down or too up about hearing something saying it was kind of based on somebody's vision. That can mean a lot of different things. So I'm not really sure about that. So yeah, I'm just not all that interested. I'm still trying to talk myself into seeing that Justice League Apocalypse movie because I've had a few people tell me it sucks. I've had a few people tell me they love it. So I'm trying to talk myself into, into watching it. I'm not doing a very good job of talking myself into it right now, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. All right, thanks for that, Michael Myers. All right, uh, David Dilks writes, one of two. I know you enjoyed Pirates 5, uh, Terminator 6, and Star Wars 7. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed Pirates 5, and I liked Terminator 6, although, you know, it, it had a lot of room for improvement, but I, I, I liked it, yeah. And Star Wars 7, I loved. I loved Star Wars. I thought Star Wars 7 was fantastic. If only Rise of Skywalker could have been anywhere near as good. But I think the I think The Force Awakens was absolutely fantastic. Um, I would say the formula for these films don't work well. Uh, well, in the case of Star Wars 7, it did. Uh, do you think that having a film that is approximately the same length to the previous film and features the original characters and locations as well as new characters and locations similar to the originals and also having a similar plot is bad for formula? I know Force Awakens was a success despite these flaws. I don't see those as flaws. I mean, that's that's the thing there, David. I, what you're expressing as flaws, I don't think those were flaws. I think those were strengths of the film. I think those are strengths of the film. Now, look, one of the things to me, like was Starkiller Base a little too on the nose of being just yet another Death Star? Yes. Yeah, I, I concede that point. I have from day one. Absolutely. That one's a little on the nose. But it wasn't enough to derail what I thought just the overall breath. It just, it was Star Wars, you know? And it had been a long time since I saw anything that was really felt like Star Wars to me again. And I thought it just worked on that level. But here's the thing, and this comes up a lot when we're talking about Marvel versus DC, because a lot of people will ask, you know, do you think DC would have done better if they followed Marvel's formula, right? Yeah, solo movie, solo movie, solo movie, team, solo movie, solo movie, solo movie, team, solo movie, solo. Do you think DC might have been, and would they have done better if they followed that formula? Here's the thing, formula does not give you quality. 
Formula is irrelevant. Formula is a skeleton, right? Or, or maybe even the opposite of that. Formula is but a shell. Formula is a shell. At the end of the day, a formula does not make your movie good or bad. A formula is simply the skeleton by which you put the meat on the bones. And it's all about quality of story and execution. That's what it always comes down to. Because listen, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, as a matter of fact, DC did start off their DCEU with a solo film. They started off with Man of Steel. And while I may think Man of Steel is one of the great comic book movies of all time, a lot of people didn't. A lot of people don't like it. I have no idea why. It still befuddles me. But the reality is a lot of people didn't like Man of Steel. So here you had DC coming out, but they were following Marvel's formula. They started with a solo movie. So, so shouldn't that have worked? But again, it's not formula. The formula is nothing. The formula is the shell or the skeleton by which you've got to flesh it out and narrative and execution become what uh, does those things out. Listen, I still believe that if the DCU had come out of the gates with a justice, first movie of the DCU, Justice League, it could have been great. And if it was great, it wouldn't have mattered whether it followed Marvel's formula or somebody else's formula. It wouldn't have mattered. It just would have worked. And if it worked, that's all that matters. So, see, I don't think the reason Star Wars The Force Awakens was great was because it shared a bunch of similarities to the original Star Wars. I think that's just the path they chose to take, but they had to fill it with excitement and adventure and life and great dialogue and just the fun that Star Wars has around the formula that kind of becomes your shell, right? And again, I always point this one out too, but let's look at Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy didn't follow the Marvel formula. They didn't need to do Star-Lord movie, Gamora movie, Drax movie, Rocket movie, Groot movie, then the team-up movie of Guardians of the Galaxy. No, they didn't need to do that. These are Guardians of the Galaxy. Boom, go. You don't have to do solo individual movies for each of the characters before you do the team. Just do the team. Go. And it worked great. Not because... They didn't follow the other formula and not in spite of the fact that they didn't follow the other formula. It just worked because they executed James Gunn executed brilliantly. So I would suggest that, listen, you point to these movies that didn't, there's some, a couple of these movies that didn't quite work as well as it could have pirates five Terminator six, but I could point out 50 other movies that also didn't work as quite as well as they, they would have that didn't follow that formula. Right? So again, I don't think the issue is formula formula is not the issue. It's, it, that's not what made the movie good or mediocre or bad. The formula isn't what made it good or mediocre or bad. It's simply a, a kind of a rough blueprint that you still have to fill in. And I think that's the key. Personally, David, I think that's the key myself. That's why one kind of followed that formula in Star Wars Force Awakens I think is fantastic. And a couple didn't that aren't as fantastic. But anyway, that's just my point of view on it. And your point of view is no more or no less legitimate than my own. I, but that's just my own particular point of view on that, David. All right, thanks for asking, man. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, do you think with new shows like Avengers, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, and Game of Thrones that a modern remake of Stay Tuned would be a good idea? I'll be honest with you, I don't even remember what Stay Tuned is. What is Stay Tuned? Uh, 
Uh, I don't even remember what Stay Tuned is. Okay, Stay Tuned was a 1992... Oh, okay, wait a minute. Okay, with John Ritter. All right, I vaguely remember this. I vaguely remember this. I, I can, listen, whether I'm only recognizing the poster or if I did see and I'm just not remembering, this movie is 10, 28 years old. Yeah, I either I only, I'm only recognizing the, the, the poster. If I did see it, I don't remember hardly a damn thing about it. I remember it's like where the characters get sucked into a TV world or something like that. I remember nothing about it. So I, listen, anything can work. Felipe, the sentient dancing microphone can work. Whenever you're asking of uh, whether something could be a good idea, sure it could, but I, I mean, I don't know. And I don't, I honestly, I just don't remember enough about it. That's a deep cut on that one, Anonymous. That is a deep cut. All right, next up, uh, David Dilks also writes, if they made an X-Men slash Fantastic Four crossover movie series that had nothing to do with the other movie franchises, what would be an interesting battle you would want to see? I don't mean easy ones like Human Torch versus Iceman. I don't care. I don't care. Battles don't make the movies. Stories make the battles interesting. See, here's the thing. I'll often tell people my favorite action sequence, even after Infinity War and Endgame, my favorite action sequence in a comic book movie of all time is still Captain America Civil War, the airport battle, right? Now, if I hadn't seen the movie at all, and all I did was just sat down and watched that fight action sequence, right? That's all I saw. I didn't see any of the rest of the movie. It would be pretty good still. I mean, it'd still be, oh, that was fun. It would still be fun. But it's the narrative surrounding the action that gives the action power, right? I often say like um, great visual effects, but the same can be said of great action. Great visual effects or great action without narrative purpose is just visual noise. I point to a lot of the Transformers movies, some great visual effects, some great action, but they had no narrative purpose and therefore it was just annoying visual noise. But you take a battle like the airport battle where it was all the narrative and the drama that we know is going into that fight that just elevates it to another level. You know what I mean? So that's just kind of the way I think. So also that's why I love the action sequences in Man of Steel. I know we're going back to Man of Steel a lot, but I love the action sequences in Man of Steel specifically because of that, because of the story, this, this kid, this Superman who just discovered what he is, is now all of a sudden confronted by other members of his alien race that he never knew existed, and they want to wipe out all of humanity, and he's the only one who can stop them. And understanding that General Zod, who felt betrayed by Kal-El's father, Jor-El, who had been searching forever for a way to bring his people back, to bring Krypton back to life. It is these two ideologies fighting it out over the sky landscape of Metropolis, wreaking havoc, whatever. It's all that put into the, the dynamic of this incredible action set pieces that makes that action sequence maybe not quite as high as, as like, say, um, uh, Civil War was to me but certainly elevates it a hell of a, probably in my top three. So honestly, David, when you ask me, what battles do you want to see? I really don't care because battles are just visual noise 
apart from what story and narrative are going into it to build it up and make it work. That's why the Rocky and Ivan Drago fight in Rocky Four works so well, man. It's all the drama that went into it before the fight happens, right? So, I don't know. I'll say this, though. Two fights that I've always been... I'll, I'll at least say this. Two fights that I've always been very, very, very curious to see. But they both involve Hulk. And it's because of what I read in comics that I've, since I was a kid. I've always wanted to see a Wolverine versus Hulk fight. And I've always wanted to see the Thing versus Hulk fight. Th those are two fights I've always wanted to see. But as far as X-Men and Fantastic Four, I don't really care. I don't really care. As long as you build great narrative around it, it could be Mr. Fantastic versus Jubilee. And that could be the greatest comic book movie fight of all time if you build the right drama around it, right? So that's kind of where my head's at, David. Thanks. That's an interesting question, though. Thanks for writing that in. All right, Simon writes, uh, John, please watch Justice League Dark Apocalypse where I, I told you, people have been writing in some people writing to say, John, don't bother watching it. And a bunch of people writing in saying, John, you got to watch it. And I, again, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to talk myself into it. But I nine times out of 10, Marvel and DC animated stuff always lets me down. Not always. Nine times out of 10. Like one time out of 10, you'll get a Mask of the Phantasm. One time out of 10, you'll get Under the Red Hood. Uh, one time out of 10, you'll get the Doctor Strange animated movie. But for the most part, I find most of DC and Marvel's animated stuff, especially their made-for-direct-to-home video stuff, usually sucks ass, in my opinion. Other people love it, and that's great, but it just doesn't work for me. But I'm trying to talk myself into watching it, Simon. I am. I'm trying to talk myself into watching it. All right, David Jeffrey writes, uh, Hey, John. On uh, Just curious, what are your thoughts on the movie Primal Fear? Ooh, with Ed Norton Jr.? pretty damn good uh just watched it for the first time and really loved edward norton's performance thanks for all you do much love from medicine hat alberta oh, I, I think this might be the first time somebody's written in now i think it's richard greer is it not hold on a second um primal fear i think it was richard greer who was in that with him yes richard greer laura linney and edward norton that movie uh, francis mcdormand alfrey woodard was in it John Mahoney. Oh, I forgot how good that cast was. Anyway, Primal Fear was the first movie I remember watching um, in theaters. And this is an older one. This is like a 24-year-old movie. It's the first movie I remember watching in theaters where it's like, that twist really got me. And I won't give away what the twist is, just in case there's some of you who haven't seen it. But the twist at the at the end is the one that just made me go, oh, what? Like, like I... I it really had a good positive impact on me uh, that I really enjoyed. So, yeah, I got to say, Primal Fear is a damn good movie. And by the way, I know he's older now. Richard Gere should be in more movies. Richard Gere should be. He's always good. He's just always good. I, I know he's an older actor now. Fine. He should fi give him older roles, whatever. I really like Richard Gere. He should be in more stuff. Just throwing that out there to the universe. Richard Gere should be in more stuff. All right. Isaac Beebe writes, happy birthday, Rob. Hope you got a lot of verisimilitude. Yes, I'm sure. And I'll make sure I pass it on when I talk to him a little bit later today. Uh, we're going to be doing like a, a virtual birthday party with him a little bit later. So I will make sure I pass on that you guys, the viewers here, pass on your well wishes and wishing him a happy 40th. 40th birthday. 
I don't know how old he is. I'm going to go with 40. Happy 40th birthday, Robert Meyer Burnett. All right, anonymous viewer sends in $50. Thank you so much for that anonymous viewer. And uh, if this there is a question in here, we will not only answer it now, we will answer it in its own standalone video in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eyes open for that. All right. Uh, anonymous writes, Hey, John, and happy birthday to Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, who, of course, is not here because I couldn't do my show at my regular time this morning. Uh, pretty cool we share the same birthday. Uh, question four. Uh, with five MCU, two Pixar, and Disney animation, five live-action movies coming in 2022 for Disney, with 21st century movies hashtag stacked, will any studio ever outgrow Disney at the box office again? Yes. Yes. Whenever you ask questions, we were just talking about this, whenever you say can, the answer is always yes. And whenever you ask a question that has the word ever, the answer is always yes. Will another studio ever Make as much money in a year as a Disney studio? Oh, yes. Yes. It may not be this year. It may not be next year. It may not be in the next three or four years. But yes. Listen, I always got to remind people. Like, there, there are a bunch of people. There are some people watching this show who might be too young to remember what MySpace was. But when MySpace came out, it, it was social media. Like, MySpace wasn't a player in social media. MySpace was social media and it would never fall. It would forever be the king of the hill with social media and a few other things tried to start up to mimic MySpace, but nothing came close. MySpace would rule forever. And what happened today? You say MySpace and most people look at you and say, what my what? Like they've never heard of it because guess what? Something else came along. You know, Facebook came along. But guess what? Facebook isn't as powerful as it used to be either because there was a lot of time that we thought, oh, well, Facebook is here forever. Facebook will be here forever. No, it won't. No, it won't. This thing you got to understand about history is that it the, the, the sands always shift. And while today it may feel like nothing will ever touch the power of Disney, it may feel like that right now. But a day will come. When it won't, Rome will fall. You know, Rome was the eternal city. And guess what? It fell. And so will Disney. I mean, Disney may not fall and disappear, but yeah, there will come a day where they won't be the number one studio. Somebody else will. And then maybe they will be again and all that kind of stuff. But someday, yes. Although it doesn't feel like it right now because they seem all powerful at the moment. But history is always shifting sands, my friend. It's always shifting sands. All right. Little MC writes. I've really been into these dark side of the ring uh, documentaries by Vice. They look really interesting. I think what goes on behind the scenes of pro wrestling is fascinating and more entertaining than the show itself sometimes. Uh, the, the next one is going to be about the death of Owen Hart. Yeah, I still remember, man. I was younger, but I still remember when Owen Hart died. Um, Owen Hart, of course, the brother of Brett the Hitman Hart from the legendary Hart family. Um, when he died... And he died as the Blue Blazer. He was uh, his wrestling motif at that time was Blue Blazer, and he rolled the blue mask. And it was it was a stunt. It was a stunt. It wasn't in the ring. It was him entering the ring. It was a, it was a, a really using cables and everything. Some wild uh, cabling into the ring kind of entrance, and something went wrong. And I can't remember the exact details, but something went wrong, and Owen Hart ultimately died. One of the I just remember as a as a younger guy watching wrestling, it was just like the biggest tragedy I could possibly imagine. Uh, it was absolutely crazy. When I MC, think of 
like controversy and all that kind of stuff around wrestling. It may sound stereotypical, but my mind still goes to the Montreal screw job. I think it's one of the most fascinating stories, like real stories surrounding wrestling. The Montreal screw screw job involving Owen Hart's brother, Brett the Hitman Hart, and them taking the title away from him in Montreal to Shawn Michaels when that's not what was supposed to happen. It's, and then everything, oh, first of all, all the things leading up to it is incredible. And by the way, it's, they already made a documentary about that and it's called, I think it's called Wrestling With Shadows. Anyway, um, and then all hell that broke loose after the Montreal screw job. I mean, it's a crazy, crazy story. And that, that type of stuff, there's always some really interesting stories going on in the world of wrestling. Always interesting things going on in the world of wrestling. All right. Uh, Kiss Kiss Gangbang writes, Good morning, Mr. Campy. Have you seen uh, Hobo with a Shotgun? Oh, ages ago. Rugger Hauer? Yeah, man. Ages ago, though. Uh, it's one of my guilty pleasures. And when I think of Rugger Hauer, it is, uh, uh, it is the first movie that comes to mind. It's my recommendation for the day, Sending Love from Liverpool. Yeah. And again, we were talking about Rugger Hauer the other day. And of course, he recently passed away, which is really sad. He was just one of those actors to me that felt like he was immortal, right? Felt like he was immortal. And I mentioned the other day that as weird as this may sound, whereas most people, understandably so, when they think of Rugger Hauer, they think of Blade Runner, right? You know, the candle that burns the brightest is the one that often goes out first or something, whatever the exact line was. As a replicant, when I think of Rugger Hauer, and I don't know why, I don't even love, love, love this movie. It's just that it's the one that comes to mind. All I can think about is the movie that he did with Matthew Broderick and Michelle Pfeiffer, Lady Hawk. With that che- cheesy synth music. Anyway, it was really, it's something. Lady Hawk is something. But for whatever reason, whenever I think of Rugger Hauer, I think of Lady Hawk. But, but Hobo with a Shotgun is one that comes up. That He did that one back in my AMC days. And for whatever reason, it always reminds me of that Sam Elliott movie that came out just a couple of years ago, The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then Killed Bigfoot. Or it might have been the other around, The Man Who Killed Bigfoot and Then Killed Hitler. I think he killed Hitler first. The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then Killed Bigfoot. But anyway, so it reminds me of that a little bit. But yeah, man, that's a good one, Kiss Kiss. That is a good one. All right. Uh, try Beck... Tribe CQ7 writes, Watching episode three of The Mandalorian, Doc, I still haven't seen it. I hated the second one. I loved the first one, hated the second one. I'm hoping I'm going to like the third one. I haven't seen the third one yet. Uh, Watching episode three of The Mandalorian, Doc, as I'm writing this, and I'm absolutely loving it, focuses on the cast. That sounds interesting. Far better episode than last week's episode, which was just flat out bored with. Yeah, last... Again, I'm not going to go off on it again, but the episode two of The Mandalorian document was such an utter waste of time. Because it had nothing to do with Mandalorian. This is supposed to be a Mandalorian documentary, right? And you're, are you going to talk about Mandalorian at all? No, we're just going to sit around and talk about how great you think Star Wars is? Yeah, everybody watching this already thinks Star Wars is great. You don't have to cover that ground. We're good. But I love the first episode with the directors. Getting into the cast, okay, see... That gives me some hope. I was like, okay, yes, that sounds meaty. So thank you, Tribe, for giving me that little heads up. Because now... Pardon me, I got the hiccups now. Ugh, this could get scary. Uh, now I'm stoked. Now I want to see this. Like, now I'm excited about it. So thanks for putting that on my radar, man. I appreciate that. All right, Anonymous Viewer writes, um, John, one thing you're not... Oh, more Battenson bullshit. Okay, here we go. One thing I think you're not taking into consideration about the Battenson thing is the context which it was set in. He's known for being sarcastic, controlling people. I'm not saying you're wrong, but come on. Spitting in the face of fans is a little extreme. No, no, it's not. 
No, it's not. If, if you're given a character, if you're given a character that everybody else would kill to play and would work their ass off to play it, right? Gal Gadot, right? She gets handed Wonder Woman. I don't think Gal Gadot's that great of an actress, but give her all the respect in the world. Because what did Gal Gadot do when she got handed the role of Wonder Woman? She goes, you know what? I'm never going to be a big bodybuilder, but I will be in the best possible physical shape that I can be. And she worked her ass off day and night to, to earn that incredible role. She knew the honor it was to play a character like Wonder Woman. And you got to respect that. I may not think she's a tremendously talented actress, but you got to give her respect for that because she worked her ass off. She goes, you know what? I'm going to do what I can do. When there were thousands of other actors who wanted that Batman role, thousands of other actors, and you go, and Batman is supposed to be the peak of human physicality. And again, we don't expect Ryan Pattinson, Ryan Pattinson, <laughs> Robert Pattinson. We don't expect Robert Pattinson to look like Dwayne Johnson. We don't expect him to look like Hugh Jackman did as Wolverine. He doesn't have the body frame for it. That's fine. All we want you to do is your best. That's it. That's all we ask for. Show, act like you're honored that you got that role. Act like you respect the character. Act like you respect the fans and say, look, I, I'm never going to look like that. And I'm never going to look like that. And that's totally fine. But I'm going to give you my best effort. And when the studio says, hey, we'd like you to work out during the uh, during the quarantine and they hire him a trainer and the trainer says, we, we'd like you to do these exercises. And he goes, nah, I think that's incredibly disrespectful. I think that's incredibly disrespectful. Now, some people have made up the argument that he was just kidding. Why is it whenever a public figure says something really stupid, the first thing everybody does is rush into the fence saying, he was just joking, he was just joking. Okay, listen, if Robert Pattinson was just joking, and by the way, there's no proof there to say that he was, and the journalist who was in the room with him, speaking with him for hours, not for a second thought he was joking, but... If Robert Pattinson was joking, the first thing I will do is breathe a huge sigh of relief and go, oh, God, thank God, because, you know, I have been Robert Pattinson's biggest supporter, right? There has been nobody online, nobody in this space that has been a bigger supporter of Robert Pattinson getting this role from day one once he got that role. I was the one defending him getting it and all for it, and I, I think he's a tremendously gifted actor. Now, if you want to believe he was joking, great. And if he was joking, awesome, awesome. But, you know, I pointed this out on my open mic the other day that there are two, there seems to be really two groups of people trying to defend Robert Pattinson and they completely contradict each other. You got one group who says Robert Pattinson was right to say what he said. It's, it's unreasonable that they should work out that they were creating these false image types of what superheroes are supposed to look like. And, and Robert Pattinson is 100% correct. He shouldn't have to do that. Okay. And, and I think there's merit to that. There, there's, I don't agree with it, but there's merit to be made in having that argument. I think there's, there's some legitimacy to that argument, even though I don't agree. But then you got this opposite argument. That completely contradicts that argument of people saying Robert Pattinson was just joking, even though there's nothing in there that suggests he was. But, you know, th there he does have a history that there have been times that he has been kind of loose in giving some answers and, and he'll joke around a little bit. He's jovial that way, right? He, I mean, he is. 
And so while I don't agree, because I see no proof suggesting that he was joking, I think there is an argument to be made there, though, because there there has been some historical uh, context and some precedent that he's done it kind of before. So maybe that's what he was doing here. All I know is that the journalists there didn't think so, but there's an argument to be made there. I just find it interesting that you got these two different groups of people defending Pattinson, but their arguments completely contradict each other because they're saying, no, he's right to say what he was saying. And they get these other saying, no, it's not that he was right saying it. It's that he was totally joking. And by the way, in saying he was joking, you're admitting what he said was really stupid, right? In saying he was just joking, you're acknowledging it was a really fucking stupid thing for him to say. It's just that he was joking. And if he was joking, nobody will breathe a deeper sigh of relief than me because I have been Robert Pattinson's biggest defender and his biggest fan about his casting as Batman. You guys go back, watch my shows. You guys know how excited I've been that he got cast as Batman. I've been totally pumped about him being cast as Batman. Super excited. But I think what he said was really dumb. And listen, that doesn't automatically mean, by the way, that I'm suddenly not a Robert Pattinson fan anymore or that I want him fired from the role or anything like that. No, I'm just as a fan of his. I was tremendously disappointed because I thought what he said represented disrespect to the studio that was paying him, disrespect to the character that he had the honor of portraying and disrespectful to the fans who are trying to get on board with him. I thought it was very disrespectful. And I stand by that. And listen, not everybody agrees. And I can live with that. I'm not here to say things you agree with. I'm here to tell you what I honestly think and why. And if you agree, great. And if you don't agree, that's perfectly fine too. But yeah, man, nobody will be more excited to hear Robert Pattinson come out and say that he was totally kidding about that than me. I will pop a bottle of champagne with everybody and go, thank God. And I can just get back to being excited. And I'm still looking forward to seeing him playing the role. But listen, the whole notion of when somebody says something dumb, having everybody rush to the fence just going, oh, he was just kidding. Oh, he was just kidding. Um, Well, the guy who was physically in the room with him didn't think he was kidding. But it is what it is. It is what it is. All right. Next up. Uh, Dumbledore writes, one of two. Hey, John, when it was announced that Boba Fett will appear in season two of The Mandalorian, my reaction was very similar to yours. I personally am not crazy about the choice, but I'm not going to lie. I'll be excited to see him on screen again. Um, Double or two. But with Bo-Katan now joining the show, I'm getting more and more excited every day. As long as these characters serve the story well, this next season could be bonkers. Yeah, I mean... So the eternal struggle that I've been having with like the the Boba Fett thing or whatever is that if you guys have watched me for any period of time, you know that I don't like Star Wars shrinking their universe. And every time like Star Wars is supposed to be this vast galaxy filled with millions of worlds and trillions and trillions and trillions of characters. And how come every time we tell a Star Wars story, it's got to have people we've already met. Why does every Star Wars story seem to have to have something until the Mandalorian came along and the Mandalorian was all new characters telling a new story in a different part of the galaxy with, you know, with the um, galactic conflict as the background to it. But I loved it. So I was a little bit nervous, like partially excited because Boba Fett's really cool, partially a little bit nervous because I don't like it when they're shrinking the universe. So I'm I'm kind of still in that middle ground right now. I've got the one side of my brain that's, ah, come on, why keep bringing in characters we already know? But on the other side of my brain is like, oh my God, they're bringing Boba Fett into the Mandalorian. So I've got these two sides of my brain like at war with each other over it and I'm still kind of there. But the one thing that I do think for sure though, 
from everything that I've read, Boba Fett will play a very small part. I think he's actually only going to appear in one episode. Same with Bo-Katan. I think Bo-Katan is probably just going to pop up in one episode and be gone. So I don't know how influential those characters will be to the overall story. And hopefully they'll just have like a really good impact for the episode they end up being in. But who knows? They've already done filming it. Let's see what Dave Filoni's got in mind here. All right. Darth, Ho Darth Hobbs. I like that name, right? Hey, John and Rob. As a trailer has a trailer ever made you choke up or brought on some tears. Mine was the was the Force Awakens teaser. Hearing Chewie were home uh, just got me. Second, uh, now that Brady is a Buck, are you still a Pats fan or did you follow him to the Bucks? I'm still a Pats fan. I think as long as uh, Darth Bilicek is there, um, as long as Darth Bilicek, because I really more follow coaches. I don't know why, but for football, I became a fan of the Pats, actually, when Coach Parcells went to the Pats. So when Coach Parcells went to the Pats, that's when I started following the uh, the Patriots. And then, you know, you had Darth Bilicek take over and uh, that crazy run that they've had. And I've kind of been with them ever since. So I, I am still a Patriots fan. But you know I'm going to be following the Bucks a lot more closely now than I ever have before. But honestly, no. trailer. A trailer itself has never really brought a tear to my eye. If anything came really close to doing it, though, it would be Chewy We're Home. Chewy We're Home is, is, would definitely be one that comes close to doing it. I mean, lots of trailers get me very, very excited. Uh, but if anyone was going to bring a tear to my eye, that probably would have been it. All right, Dumbledore, Cal Racine also writes, one more. I'm not asking for a ranking, but I would like to know who are a few of your favorite non-movie characters from the Star Wars universe? Mine are Kanan, Ahsoka, and Thrawn. Kanan in particular really shot up uh, my list after watching Rebels. Uh, well, Grand Admiral Thrawn, I mean, has to be the, the prime one. And then coming out of that same series of books, uh, Mara Jade. Mara Jade has to be a prime one, came out of that, The Emperor's Hand. Uh, or Mara J. Skywalker, as she later became known as. But yeah, my favorites are Thrawn and probably Mara Jade. But listen, the, the main characters in Lost Stars, the novel uh, Lost Stars, that one shot up. Those shot up the charts for me, too. Those ones really shot up the charts for me as well. But uh, yeah, I got to go Thrawn and Mara Jade. Those ones I'll go with. All right. Uh, let's see. Fifty Shades of Geek writes. Um did you really think you can bring up Pokemon on your show and I wouldn't have something to say about it? Well, think again. Jokes aside, I think the main problem with that movie was the budget. Story was decent and the Pokemon looked great in my opinion. Um, I understand that when you have dozens of CGI characters running around in almost every scene, it's going to get expensive. But some sequences in Detective Pikachu looked expensive and unnecessary. The scene in the forest with the giant... Uh, Torteras, the big turtles, uh, for example. Uh, when Detective Pikachu came out of Warner Brothers, uh, came out, sorry, when Detective Pikachu came out, comma, Warner Brothers put the first 10 minutes on YouTube. Some of the best parts of the movie are in the first 10 minutes. It's a great introduction to the world and characters that's satisfying to fans and not too confusing to newcomers. Um, Oh, he keeps going. Uh, if that's the only live action Pokemon movie we'll ever get, then I'm fine with it. It would be nice to see more, but there's already enough Pokemon media in the world for my satisfaction. All right. Yeah, and we did talk about Detective Pikachu the other day because the other day marked the one year anniversary. It's amazing how time flies. But the other day did mark the anniversary, the one year anniversary of the release of Detective Pikachu. And despite some early talk about a sequel, it's still nowhere to be found and really nowhere to be heard of. Even Justice Smith, who is the star of the film, said he has no one has talked to him about a sequel at all. Even now, 
And while a lot of people insisted that Pokemon Detective Pikachu was going to make a billion dollars at the box office, it didn't come anywhere close. It made 400 and something, which is still respectable. I mean, it still made a respectable amount of money. And I thought the movie was okay, but it just did not. It, the movie didn't live up to the promise of the trailers because I thought they did a top notch job marketing that movie. I thought they did a very good job marking that movie because they got me excited about a Pokemon movie. They got me excited about seeing Detective Pikachu. And maybe part of that was the fact that Ryan Reynolds was was doing the voice of, of Pikachu. That might have something to do with it too, but I thought the trailers were really good. And so it never really lived up to it quality-wise. And I don't know that budget had anything to do with it. I think it was just story. I thought the story just lacked a little bit. But listen, still a charming little film. Um, that I certainly don't think was a bad movie. I, I enjoyed myself. I didn't think it was great. I was a little little let down by because of how high my expectations were, but um, not a bad little movie. But considering it only made, only made, considering it only made like in the 400 million range, I'm not surprised they're second guessing whether they make another one. Uh, but if they do, I'll be there. If they decide to make another one, I'll be there. I'll be there for sure. All right. Thanks for writing that in, 50 Shades. All right. Diamond Dogs Puppy Rights. Hey, John. Today's underrated film is 1984's uh, Birdie, directed by Alan Parker, starring Matthew Modine and Nicolas Cage. It's one of the best films about ultimate friendship and the bond between two fellow soldiers returning home from Vietnam thoughts. I don't recognize it. I, I thought you were trying to say the birdcage for there for a second. Um birdie 1984 matthew modine let me see if i even no you know what i don't even reckon i'm looking at the poster right now i don't even recognize it i don't even recognize the movie um i don't recognize any other any of the other cast uh, alan parker directed it which is which is pretty cool i like alan parker um he directed, uh, remember I did a, a movie recommendation a little while ago, Mississippi Burning. He directed Mississippi Burning, which which is amazing. Um, yeah, but I do not recognize the film. So, yeah, put that put that on my, I'll have to look into that one list. I'll have to look into that one. Thanks for putting that out there, Diamond Dogs Puppy. All right, Murray Reich writes, uh, last night's What We Do in the Shadows episode with Mark Hamill was so funny. Dude, uh, Ann and I... Anne was busy playing. I was doing some work and Anne was busy playing D&D with her Dungeons and Dragons group over Zoom uh, until 11 o'clock at night. And we're like, do we go to bed or do we watch what we do in the shadows? Because there's a new episode. And we thought, La, let's watch, watch what we do in the shadows. And as soon as Mark Hamill turns up, I go to Anne. Oh, my God, that's Mark Hamill. And Anne's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, listen to his voice. And it's like, oh, my God, it is Mark Hamill. I loved it. That episode was so great. But first of all, because there's Laszlo. I love the I love all of the characters. I love all the characters. Laszlo, Nadja, Guillermo, all of them. I love all of them. But I, I, there's something about the Laszlo character I love. That story was great. And Mark Hamill um, in the guest role, so freaking good. I loved it. I'm already loving the show, but you're right, Murray. That that cameo was something special. All right, Murray Reich also writes, last night's... Oh, sorry, I already did that. Um, do you think places like Corona, New York, and California need to change their names once the pandemic is over or too much taxpayers' dollars? No, I don't think they need to change their names any more than I think is... Actually, Anne, Anne is from Corona, California. That's where her mom still lives. We go to we go to Corona, California, almost every weekend. We go out there and visit, you know, her brother and her mom and our buddy Ryan. And we go visit them out in Corona 
Every weekend, almost every weekend. No, any more than I, I don't think the beer company needs to change the name of their company either. Uh, I really don't think so. Like we're not, listen, as a species, we're pretty dumb, but we're not so dumb that we go, oh, I don't want to drink that beer. It has the name Corona in it. I, we're not that dumb. We're dumb. We're not that dumb. So I, I don't think there's any need for them to change the names. Now, listen, if Corona ended up being this thing that wiped out, you know, 20% of the Earth's population in a massive apocalyptic event, well, maybe then. Uh, this has been terrible. This has been terrible, but it could have been a lot worse. And and so, no, I, I don't think they need to rename their towns. I could be wrong about that, but uh, but I don't think people are going to confuse the two. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, Mohammed Ibrahim writes, Hey, John, love the show. Uh, thank you so much, Mohammed. Literally one of my favorite things to experience during these quarantine days. Thank you so much, man. And, and I'm happy to be here. And, I'm, and thank you for being here and allowing me to do this during these quarantine days. I appreciate that. The CW officially moved most of their shows to January. Truly bummed. I will have to wait seven months for The Flash, All-American, etc. Thanks and stay safe. And yeah, man, listen, it, it is what it is. They need a certain amount of time to ramp up production, get things into production, complete it, and then start post and all that kind of stuff. And the fact of the matter is nobody's shooting anything right now. And at least in LA, and most of the CW shows probably shoot in Vancouver. They're not about to start shooting anytime soon. And so like fall release, like the fall premiere dates, it just becomes unworkable at this point. So you're right, Mohammed. It is unfortunate. Um, by the way, I thought I saw the season finale of Flash and I said with the, with Barry and Iris going, we'll find each other. And, and then a bunch of people wrote to me, actually, John, that's not the finale. There were still two more episodes after that. So thank you for everybody who, to, for reminding me that that wasn't the season episode or the season finale. I was ready to stop watching the Flash because, okay, that was the season finale. All right. Boop, 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 boop. And if you guys hadn't written in, I would have been sitting around for a year before I realized there were two more episodes. So I did get caught, caught up and it wasn't a bad, they did a pretty good job ending it where they needed to. They did a pretty good job. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's going to have to be a little bit of a longer wait than normal for the movies, for the TV shows. Uh, it's going to be affecting a lot. And we're going to feel those effects even after like the lockdown is done. It's not like after the lockdown is done and we're all back to normal, whatever normal looks like there, we're still going to be feeling the ramifications of the fact that right now there's nothing shooting. Right. And uh, CW is going to be, but one, my friend, uh, but one of those, uh, but one of those casualties, uh, it will. So again, thanks for writing that in, man. I appreciate that. Uh, Dwight Kurt Schrute writes, uh, of the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy, which do you consider the best movie and which is your favorite? Well, to me, they are the same. They are the one and the same. Um, I gotta go Return of the King. Return of the King. Um, it is just, first of all, I love all of the Lord of the Rings movies. I love them all nearly equally. Um, you know, when you get into Fellowship of the Ring, you're talking about whisking, doing something I never thought would be possible. Whisking me feeling like I am now in the Shire. I'll never forget. Like I will never forget. I was sitting in the Silver City Theaters, uh, Cineplex Cine Silver City Movie Theaters in Ancaster, Ontario, which is a part of Hamilton, Ontario. And sitting in that theater and watching Lord of the Rings, something I never thought in my lifetime we would ever see actually done live action in the movie theaters. Because I read the books as a little kid. And just when that, doo -doo -doo, 
You know, the, the, the Shire music, right? The Shire music. And seeing the Shire and seeing Gandalf riding into it and seeing that opening uh, prelude and all that kind of stuff. And then feeling like when, when Gandalf comes rolling into town and I just, it, it was one of the most magical feelings I had ever felt in a movie theater. Like I really felt like they were bringing the Shire to life. And, and it's something I never thought I would see. But as great as that was, and as great as Two Towers was with Helm's Deep and all that kind of stuff and all the greatness in that. And by the way, all three movies were nominated for Best Picture. All three. Only one other trilogy in history has had all three of their films nominated for Best Picture. And that was Godfather. Godfather 1, 2, and 3. But to me, it's Return of the King. It not only was fabulous as a standalone movie, had the best epic battle scenes and all the great lines, and Rohan shall answer. You know, all the best lines and all the best moments and all the best tears and all the best feels. It was a great summation of the franchise and great in its own right and holds the record for the most Academy Award wins. No film in history has ever won more. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, uh, holds the record for 11 Oscar wins. No film in history has ever won more. Two others have won, also won 11, but no film has ever won more. And um, yeah, so I, I got to go. I got to go Return of the King. I got to go Return of the King, even though they are all marvelous. All right. Tyler Yeats writes, I saw where Supernatural is going to be airing its last seven or so episodes in the fall. I heard something about that. I'm bummed. Uh, kind of like a 16th season almost. Glad to not have to say goodbye yet. I wonder if they'll play a song at the beginning like they do for season premieres. I'm going to miss it. Probably not. Probably not. But what they what they will do for sure. On top of playing that song at the beginning of each season... They also play the song for the season finale. And I am sure like what what's come before like they, they play this thing uh, and they of course they open all their seasons with it. They, then they play this big song at, at the season finales as well. And this one will be the, the uh, series finale. This one will be the series finale. So I don't think they'll start off with a season premiere like opening, uh, but they'll end it off the right way. They'll end it off the right way. And uh, it's going to be bittersweet to say goodbye to the Winchester boys. It's going to be bittersweet. I've been watching these guys, these brothers on TV for years. I mean, I didn't I didn't get on board with Supernatural in season one. But um, I, I probably jumped on when they got into season three. So I've been watching the show for about 12 years. It's it's crazy when you think about it in those terms, but man, I've I've really enjoyed that show. I've enjoyed it so much. All right, let's see. Uh, Anne's graduation cap writes because uh, Anne actually had her graduation today, her virtual graduation. It was all done online, but she uh, graduated with her fourth degree, uh, uh, second master's degree, her fourth degree overall from uh, USC today. Will Farrell gave like a little bit of a commencement speech, which was kind of cool. But anyway, certain book franchises to movies are like a steak dinner without the potatoes and salad. Uh, still a good steak, but it does, but it doesn't feel like a rounded out meal to me. Think if Percy Jackson is successful, we could see potential Harry Potter series. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think JK Rowling is all that interested in a Harry Potter series. 
Because listen, the, the Harry Potter series is one of those rare instances where the creator has actually maintained all the control. Like JK has never written, signed away or sold off her control over the franchise. It's hers. Warner Brothers can't do anything with Harry Potter that she doesn't give her blessing to. You know what I mean? And I just don't know if she has any interest in that. I think she wants Harry Potter movies. And so it's really not going to be up to Warner Brothers. It's not going to be up to anybody. It's going to be up to JK. And what she wants, to, what direction she wants to see it go in. And I, my gut is she would probably feel like things could get out of control with the character a little too quickly if you're trying to do a TV series. I think she knows she can exert a lot more control, have it more contained, minimize bad decisions if you're doing it and have bigger events if you're doing it in the form of movies. So I, I'm not saying it's impossible. Don't misquote me. It, it could happen, but I'm just saying I'm doubtful because I don't think JK wants it to go that way. I think she wants movies and not television series, but who knows? We'll have to wait and see. All right, 50 Shades of Geek writes, I just finished Doctor Who series 12, a little late, I know, but better late than never. Uh, I was just wondering, if Robert is on the show, of course, and he's not here today, of course, because I had to do the show later in the day because I had to be out this morning, unfortunately. Um, if he's seen it and what does he think about it? I have mixed feelings about the big reveal, still processing. Yeah, I think he, I think Robert watches Doctor Who. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I, I, I'm, I think Robert watches Doctor Who. I do not watch Doctor Who, so I, I can't give my opinion on that uh, one way or the other because I don't watch the show, so I, I just don't know. Uh, but when I run into Robert, I will, I will try to ask him what he thinks about that. But unfortunately, obviously, he's not here right now or today. But uh, I think, again, I'm not 100% sure he watches it, but I think he does. And unfortunately, I, I can't offer an opinion on it. Uh, let's see here. Um, let's see. Uh, where do we go? Brandon writes, hey, John. I know we always talk about how fan petitions slash movements are stupid and often don't do anything to sway a studio's opinion. Why do you think hashtag Disney adapt Percy Jackson movement worked and not others like release the Snyder cut it because it didn't work. It didn't work. Disney. Listen, Disney was going to do what it was going to do regardless of that. They don't think for one second that the hashtag movement and listen, by the way, at some point, a Disney rep might play to the fans like they might do a little bit of schmoozing with the fans and say, oh, when we saw the, 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 the support that it had, oh, we had to act. They, they might sucker you a little bit and they might say something like that in the future, but don't believe it for a second. Studios do not listen to online fan petitions, nor should they. Uh, studios do what they're going to do. So one didn't, did not work and the one did not fail. It's just that studios don't pay any attention to them. They never will and they never should. Uh, they need to do what they need to do. And this, this thing was going to happen regardless of some hashtag thing. And I don't re really think that Disney adapt Percy Jackson movement really had was much of a movement at all. I really don't think it had much traction. Probably had some people doing it, but it was probably tiny compared to the amount of people doing the release of the Snyder Cut one. So, and yeah, Disney does not, they didn't do it because of the hashtag campaign. I can guarantee you that. All right. Uh, Tech Boy writes, uh, you say that Blade Runner is the movie everyone likes that you don't, but is there a TV show that people like that you don't? For me, it's Adventure Time. I can't understand why people like it. Ugly art style, unfunny, and it's just a bunch of randomness. Um, I've never watched Adventure Time, really. I, I mean, I know what it is, but I've never really watched it to have an opinion about that. I will say, and everybody gets mad at me when I say this, for me, it's Rick and Morty. I just don't think it's that funny. 
Oh, well, then you just must not get it. No, I get it. I just don't find it that funny. I watched the entire first season and I was like, I feel no desire to watch season two. Now, it certainly had its moments. Like season one for me certainly has moments. And I certainly don't think Rick and Morty is a garbage show or anything like that. It's just that I watched it. I was like, eh, this isn't all that great. Mm. But it's funny because like I remember, I still remember when I saw it. I watched the whole first season in a couple of days. And maybe over a course of a week, I watched the whole first season. And I had a, I was talking with Dennis. And I remember mentioning to Dennis because Dennis loves that show. Actually, a lot of people I know love that show. Like it has a such a such a passionate and loyal fan base, that show. And I remember saying as I, I didn't really like it. And he looked at me like I just said, water isn't wet or something like that. Right. Which is often the response I get from people. And I say, yeah, I, I did watch Rick and Morty, at least the first season. And it, you know, it was all right, but I didn't think it was all that special. Woo! People look at me like I just said water isn't wet. It's crazy. But I mean, that's the that's the thing about art, right? Like everybody has gotten movies or shows that everybody else loves that they actually don't. Not everybody's honest about it. I will be honest about it. But but yeah, and, and I'd say for me, Rick and Morty is probably one of those. I think one of those for me is Rick and Morty. Uh, all right. Let's see. Superman Steve writes. Hey, John, I can't believe I'm watching this show live. Uh, this is awesome. I love the movie Percy Jackson. If HBO uh, make it, uh, you know it's going to be incredibly high quality. Actually, I believe it's going to be Disney+. Plus. Uh, making it uh, movie quality is definitely going to be a big deal. Again, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm almost... Let me double check, but I'm almost certain... Um, uh, I'm almost certain that it's Disney+. Plus that's doing. Yeah, Disney+, Plus is getting the live action. So it's not HBO. Now, how much faith can we have in Disney Plus doing it? It's hard to say because all they've really given us is one thing so far. They gave us Mandalorian and they did a great job with Mandalorian. I love Mandalorian. Cannot wait for season two. But it's, I don't know how good, but based on one thing, it's too small of a sample size. So we'll see. I would have a little bit more faith in if it was HBO because you're right. HBO has a longer track record, Steve, and you're right about that. HBO has a much longer track record of success and of quality and all that kind of stuff. So we'll just have to wait and see. I still think it's a good move for Disney Plus to do it, though. I think it's a good move. And let's keep our fingers crossed that it uh, turns out to be at least live up somewhat to its potential. All right. Superman Steve also writes. I absolutely agree, John. I absolutely love the Entourage movie. Me too, man. I love that movie. I absolutely love the Entourage movie. I think they absolutely nailed that movie. I would love a spinoff movie, but being as good as Entourage, it has a very high bar to reach. Um, it has a very high bar to reach, but the idea sounds awesome. Bring it on. I agree, but here's the great thing about the possibility of an Ari Gold series is that more than movies. Look, important good characters are important to movies. They are. Good story is important to television. It is. I'm not saying it's not, okay? But let's be clear about that. But let's take Supernatural, for example, right? The thing that has kept me hooked on Supernatural for all these years isn't their stories. And their stories have been okay. And they've had a couple seasons where the story was great. They've had a couple seasons when the story was eh. And they've had a couple seasons when the story was all right, right? But it's the characters. See, I've kept tuning in for years and years and years just because I want to spend an hour hanging out with Sam and Dean and Castiel and 
uh, Crowley and Rowena and whoever else is there and Bobby. And, you know, I've just, I want to hang out with those characters. It's the characters that we just want to hang out with. And that's where they have an advantage with, with something like Ari Gold and doing a movie. You just give us 23 minutes, which is normally how long a half hour show is on, on these things. You give us 23 minutes of just great banter between Ari and Lloyd. It's, you got, you got a winner there. I mean, it's not rocket science. You know, a, a Percy Jackson series, that's different. But something like this, where it's all character and personality driven, it's not rocket science. So if they can capture that again, if they can capture that again, they'll be off on to a good start. They'll be off to a good start. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, let's move on here. Ben Rayner writes, Hi, John. With Doom Patrol coming back, if it's week to week, would you consider doing a weekly recap show? If you have tie, probably mean time. If you have time, maybe make it a Patreon exclusive, just an idea. Oh, I, I will probably do it. Like HBO doesn't do, HBO does it the smarter way. HBO drops episodes week to week. That's how they build their followings. Um, they'll do a week to week. And yes, I think I will do a Doom Patrol uh, episode recaps. I just enjoy the show too much. And I'll be honest with you. Considering how much I loved Harley Quinn season one, I don't know why I didn't do season two recaps for Harley Quinn. I don't know why I didn't do that. But anyway, yes, I think Doom Patrol, I believe I will do week to week recaps for it. Uh, just I just love the show so much. Uh, so, yeah, I think I will do that, Ben. I think I will do that. It's a good idea. All right. Superman Steve writes in again. Happy birthday, Robert. And we will pass that on, of course. I absolutely love watching you guys together. Your chemistry is just absolutely outstanding and so incredibly entertaining. Your passions are just so infectious. Never stop being you. Love the show and all that you are. Oh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. And yeah, I, I love doing the show with Robert. And Robert loves doing this show as well. And we just love... You know, it's funny because sometimes we get... It, it's really weird. I, we get emails sometimes, people saying, John and Rob do nothing but agree with each other all the time. And then I'll get another email that says, wow, John and Rob, I don't even know if they get along because they always disagree. It's like, guys, pick a side. The reality is Rob and I agree often, and sometimes we disagree. But that's why I love having Robert on here. Because Robert, well, yeah, many times he and I will share a point of view, but quite often we'll also have different points of view. And that's why I like having Robert here, you know, because Robert is a guy who is, you know, he's thoughtful, um, he's uh, measured, and I like that. And and I like that we can, he and I can get into not only geek out together when we agree, but I also like that he and I can debate on things. So I love hearing his point of view when it's different from mine. And that's, it's really great when you can find somebody that you have such a short, like me and Robert have such a shorthand with each other now. We've worked together now for years. And I just look forward every day to when I get to have Rob on the show. It's just, I, as a film fan, I just love being able, and he loves it with me that we just get to be able to talk together, you know? It's uh, always great, and I feel like we learn a lot from each other, and it's great to have him on this show. So I will make sure I pass along your happy birthday wishes, Superman Steve. All right. Uh, uh, Fausto Chavez writes, what do you make of Star Trek Discovery's direction versus prior Star Trek runs? Captain Pike was the best freaking thing about Discovery season one and two. I don't know if I'd say he's the best thing about season one and two, but he was certainly one of my favorite things because I really liked um, the guy who played Malfoy's dad in Harry Potter. I don't know why I'm... Uh, 
why I'm freezing on his name right now. But I, he played the captain in season one. I really liked him. I thought he was great, uh, but I really enjoyed uh, him in season two. I really love the Pike character. And like I said, I was very excited about the notion about maybe doing a spinoff series with that crew. And so I was very, very happy today when I read that they were doing that. So it's all good. Uh, what do I make of the the, the uh, direction um, versus prior Star Trek runs? I don't know what you mean by that. What do you mean versus prior? I mean, I like the direction they're going. Every Star Trek series has had its own path, right? Deep Space Nine was its own thing. Voyager was its own thing. Next Generation was its own thing. Enterprise was its own thing. And certainly Discovery has forged its own unique path as well. But I just, I really enjoy the show. I really enjoy it a lot. And I remember I was very against the show before it aired. Like for those of you who remember back in the AMC days, like I was very, oh, this show's a bad idea, blah, 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 and it was all this kind of stuff. But that's why you leave your expectations at the door. Like I had a lot of negative expectations about that show. And that's fine to have negative or positive expectations. That's fine. As long as you take all those expectations, leave them outside when it's time to sit down and actually watch it. And so I did. I packaged up all my negative expectations. I left them at the door, sat down to watch Discovery and its two-part premiere. And I was really impressed. I was really impressed. I had a very good time with it. And I'm going to be excited to see where they go with season three. If we ever get it, but man, I am, I am very much on board for this Captain Pike thing. All right. Spencer writes, uh, yesterday you were talking about your thoughts on the flash finale and what you said about the end of the episode sounded, well, this is, I just covered this a little bit earlier, didn't I? Uh, what you said, uh, about the end of the episode sounded like the end of episode 17 of the season, leaving 18 and 19 left for you to see. Plus congratulations to Anne on her graduation. Yes. I had a bunch of people write into me afterwards and say, John, I don't think that was the season finale. I'm like, really go back and look. Oh, look, there are two more. See, there are two more episodes to go. I got to watch those. Um, so thankfully for that. And yes, um, I am so proud of Anne. Like I said, fourth degree. One of the things that I here's a, here's a little fireside chat here for you guys. Not that you asked for it, but here's a little fireside chat. You know, when I was dating, um, I one of the most important, one of the biggest turn ons for me. And, you know, for, forgive the profanity here, but one, one of the big turn-ons for me are women who have their shit together. You know, there's just something about that to me. And when I say that, I mean, they know where they're going. They have drive and passion and they have a work ethic. Work ethic to me, I don't know if you could tell by watching my behind the scenes video that I made last week. Work ethic to me is an incredibly important thing. Like, being willing to work hard for what it is your goals are to me is an incredibly important thing. And, you know, I would, I would, when I first moved to LA, I was doing what every guy does when he first moves to LA. I was dating all these actresses and I was dating all these people when I first got here and whatever. And, and I just, you know, I, I started meeting all these like <laughs> stupid, beautiful women in, in, in LA. I mean, it's just like the women in Los Angeles are just stupidly beautiful. Like it's just kind of crazy. And I, I've said all before, you can't throw a quarter without it hitting 18 hot men or women before the quarter hits the ground. I mean, that's just what it is in LA. But I would just, I was getting so tired of like meeting these like nice girls, but it's like, okay, so what's like, what's your, 
What gets your fire going? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Like, where are you going to be in five years? Oh, I don't know. You know, and that's fine. I'm, I'm not, I'm not trashing on that. I'm not, I'm just saying, but that's not what gets me excited. And I remember when I met Anne, besides obviously being attracted to her because she's beautiful. But when I met Anne, what one of the first things that stood out to me was the fact that she, Anne already had two degrees by the time I met her. And she was working as a political field rep for the congresswoman in Orange County. And I'm like, what do or what are you going to do? And she like laid out this, these, all these goalposts and these plans and what she does to work her ass off to make it happen. And I just remembered to me, that was like, that was like instant boner for me. Like this, it's that kind of thing that gets me excited, you know, about, about somebody. And then, I mean, obviously as we started dating and all that kind of stuff, and then I learned that she's a massive geek and she reads comics and she loves role-playing games and she's, she loves comic book movies and all this kind of stuff. I mean, and now today and she was in, she's in the MMA. Uh, so I was able to take her to the UFC gym with me and she, she started training jujitsu and all that kind of stuff too. And then she became like our dungeon master for our DNT. I mean, but she's never lost that fire. And that passion and that work ethic to work hard, get better, um, always improving herself. And so when a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, she said to me, I want to go for my fourth degree. I want to get another master's degree. I want to go and do this because I want to learn this. I want to position myself to be able to succeed in this area and this area and this area. And I'm like, hell yeah, hell yeah. And it is to this day. I know I'm sorry. I'm going off talking about my wife. I'm sorry, but, but let me finish my thought. To this day, it is still the thing that makes me look, there's many things that make me look at my wife and just be starstruck. There, there are a lot of things about my wife, who's not a perfect person, by the way, and we don't have a perfect marriage. Like, I'm not gonna lie, it's not, it's not like every day that Anne and John wake up, it's flowers and rainbows. I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong, right? But to this day, the thing that looks me, that makes me look at my wife and feel starstruck is her drive. She's a girl who's got her shit together and is always working hard and just wants to improve herself and is always moving towards her goals. And I consider it to be the great privilege of my life uh, that I get to be her support system as she moves towards her goals, as she has been that support system for me. And, um, yeah, so my biggest piece of advice to anybody is lots of different things that may turn your crank guys, lots of things that may turn your crank and maybe the things that turn my crank won't turn yours. But if I give any piece of advice, if you're looking for a potential partner, look for somebody that's got that work ethic, work for somebody who's got their shit together, who knows where they're going. doesn't mean they need to have money. doesn't mean they need to already have their career. No, no, no. But they've got a vision and they've got drive and commitment and a work ethic to get there. You find a person like that, you you hold on to that person. But anyway, ah, that's relationship attitude. That's relationship advice with John Campia today. Are we all we all feel warm and fuzzy now? Okay. Anyway, so uh, yeah, you weren't even asking about my wife's graduation, but anyway, that's the story behind. So today was the virtual graduation for my wife today. So anyway, there we go. All right, uh, Adam Frazzy Fresh writes, "Hey John." 
I love your show. Thank you so much, man. And I was wondering what will happen once Seinfeld hits Netflix? Will there be a reunion like the supposed Friends reunion that was slash is going to come out uh, for HBO um, HBO Max? Would love to hear your thoughts, Adam. I don't know if they've ever planned on doing something like that. I don't know. And where does Net... I'm not even, I can't even remember where Seinfeld ultimately ends up. Isn't Seinfeld going to Peacock? I, I I can't remember. Would they ever do like a reunion thing? Well, the Friends one isn't another episode like the Parks and Rec one was. The Friends reunion will be a the actors getting together to talk about the show. Not like the Parks and Rec reunion that they just did where they actually did another episode of the show, which was awesome. I would love to see it. Actually, Jerry Seinfeld just put up a new co- his first comedy special in like forever. He just put it up on Netflix. It's pretty good. It's not like the best comedy special I've seen all year, but it's pretty good. Uh, So you guys should check that out. So I don't know. Sign me up to see Julie Louise Dreyfus, um, Richards. um, uh, Why am I? Jason Alexander, Jerry all get together again for like a reunion special. Oh, hell yeah. That would be super highly rated. I think everybody would tune in for that. All right. We keep going now with Ben Rayner, who writes. Have you thought of doing spoiler reviews for movies that are like six months, like Rise of Skywalker or Jumanji, The Next Level? Just curious, because uh, thoughts of movies changes. Love to uh, love to hear your thoughts. Well, what I am doing, and this is a little bit different, I have decided that I'm going to make a video. It just, if for no other reason, to be therapeutic for myself, I'm going to make a post mortem video of Rise of Skywalker. Now, look, what I don't want it to be is because everybody knows I don't like the Rise of Skywalker. Fine. What I don't want it to be is just a cry, bitch and moan video about it. But I but I do want to lay out. I want to make a video about it, about, okay, here are the things about Rise of Skywalker and really dissect it for like 20 or 30 minutes. Here are the things about Rise of Skywalker now, five, six months later that I think they did well. But here are the key things that why for me. It didn't work when, for me, all the other Disney-era Star Wars films have worked so far. Because I think that puts me in an interesting position. I am somebody who likes all the Star Wars films we've gotten from Disney so far until The Rise of Skywalker. And The Rise of Skywalker didn't work for me. And I think it would be both therapeutic for myself, but also an interesting thing to sit down and say, as somebody who has liked all the rest of them, Here's what didn't work for me about Rise of Skywalker and and particularly why it didn't work for me here when they did make it work in the other movies. And so I'm going to do that. As far as doing it for like older films, I don't know because I don't know that there's much demand for that. I mean, for doing it for the Rise of Skywalker, for me, it's a self-therapy. But I just don't know that anybody would watch a video about a review of a movie that's six months old. I don't know. At least not not the, in, in my style of doing it. So I don't know. It's something I've thought about, Ben, but I don't know that I'll ever do that. But we'll have to wait and see. But I'm definitely doing the Rise of Skywalker one because I feel like I just need to do that for myself. All right. Uh, Sir Ivan Bennett writes, just wondering, since you almost never like Marvel slash DC animated movies, have you ever watched any of the TV series like Batman the Animated Series or Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes, Avatar The Last Airbender, etc.? Well, I've never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, yes, I did watch the original Batman the Animated Series, and I like the original Batman the Animated Series, actually. I did. 
I like that. I like that series. I think everybody liked that series, though. So that's that's not breaking news. I think everybody liked that series, and I was certainly one of them. Um, as far as um, the Avengers one, I watched a few episodes of that. I thought it sucked. That's just me. There are others who love it, and that's awesome. But for me, I, I thought it was quite awful. Um, and I've never seen Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, which is neither DC or Marvel anyway. So I don't know, I don't know how that got thrown into the conversation there, Sir Ivan. But no, I've never watched that one myself. Uh, although at some point, I'm sure uh, Chris Carr will will get me to watch the actual animated. You know what? I'm going to say this. I'm going to make sure that I watched Avatar The Last Airbender before sometime before the new live action series comes. All right. How's that? I will watch Avatar The Last Airbender, the animated series, sometime before the new live action series come. That that commitment I make to myself. I make that commitment to myself and to you guys. All right. The final tip question uh, gets sent in, and then we'll move on to the super chat questions. And the final tip question comes, hey, John, I agree with you 100% on Robert Pattinson. We got to move off the Robert Pattinson thing. Anyway, uh, what about all the hard work from Ben Affleck for that role? Uh, this reminded me of when Brendan Fraser got the role for The Mummy. He might not be the greatest actor, but damn, he trained a lot for that role. No, listen, again, I just think it speaks to work ethic. And in case you couldn't tell, by the way, I was talking about Anne, work ethic to me Hard work, commitment, and work ethic to me are really important things. Maybe they're more important to me than they should be. But to me, that's what speaks to a person's character a lot. Because this is the thing. Look, I'm a fucking nobody, right? I am a nobody that has a very um, modest YouTube channel, very modestly sized YouTube channel, and all that kind of stuff. And if me... A freaking Canadian loser who was an absolute nobody. If to me, if I feel an obligation to the people who watch my show and I will work my ass off 12, 13, 14 hours a day because I believe if people are going to honor me by spending their time watching this show when they could be doing anything else with their time. If a loser nobody like me thinks it's important that I owe it to these people to give them my very, very best effort. I owe it to these people to give these people who honor me by tuning in and spending time watching this show. I owe it to them to give them my very best effort. Maybe sometimes my videos are some of the best on YouTube. Sometimes my videos are some of the worst on YouTube, but whether they're the best or whether they're the worst, the people who watch my videos know that I put everything I can into it to make it the best I possibly can for them. Because I owe it to them because they honor me and they support me by being here and watching this show. If a loser nobody like me with a modest little YouTube channel has that sort of an attitude. If a Ben Affleck can go, you know what? If I'm going to play Batman in this era of comic book movies, I'm going to make sure I give the best physical appearance to Batman that I can. Again, he didn't look like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He didn't look like Hugh Jackman, but he did He did the best he could. He worked out as hard as he could. He gave his best effort. And I think the results was a pretty good looking Batman. Not the best, not comic book, but that's fine. He gave us his best effort. Gal Gadot gave us her best effort for that. Chris Evans gives us his best effort. Chris Hemsworth gives us his best 
effort. And if a loser nobody like me can, especially to someone like me where work ethic is, is really, really important. Because if you don't work hard, that tells me you don't respect the people you're working for. And you're getting paid millions of dollars, millions of dollars in a role that thousands of other actors would have killed to have. And you don't honor it by giving it your best effort. And like, I'm not going to lie, man. It bothers me. It bothers me. And, and maybe it bothers me more than it should. And maybe all that kind of stuff. But when I see everybody else busting their asses, giving their best effort and not getting the type of advantages that he's been given, given that role, it bothers me. Now, listen, I am still a Robert Pattinson fan. I am still the same guy who told all of you when they cast him, this is a great casting. I'm the one who told you that. And I stand by that. He's a great actor. He is a great actor. And anybody who comes along and says he's not, I, there is a 99% chance they never saw High Life or they never saw Good Time or they never saw The Rover or they never saw The Lost City or they never saw whatever because he has been nothing short of stellar in his career post-Twilight. He's an incredibly gifted actor. But it does bother me when I see people given a great opportunity and not honor it by saying this deserves 100% of my effort. That's all we ask. That's all we ask as fans. All we want is your best effort. That's it. You're not going to look like The Rock and that's fine. You're not going to look like Hugh Jackman and Wolverine and that's fine. We don't expect you to. We don't expect you to turn your, I mean, he's a great looking guy, right? But we don't expect him to turn his 165 ish pound frame we don't expect him to suddenly turn around and be a 245 pound walking thing of muscle we don't expect him to do that just do your best just do your best that's all i ask i think that's all the fans i think that's all the studio asks anyway i say come on guys we got to move past this robert pattinson thing and here i am still going on about a robert pattinson thing anyway uh greg scott bailey writes uh, one of three. Thanks to this show, I scratched an itch going back and watching Cliffhanger with Stallone, Michael Rocker, and Jonathan Lithgow, who was so good in that, uh, as well as Janie Turner, who was popular at that time on the TV show Northern Exposure, and Pixie Haircut Melts My Heart. Stallone at that time was already 46. Oh, that is crazy. Was already 46 when he filmed this movie and looked amazing. Rocker was a great supporting role, uh, friend to Stallone's character, and honestly showed a lot of heart with his character. And John Lithgow is glorious as the bad guy. After Cliffhanger 1993, I watched Demolition Man, also released in 93, for some continued action-packed fun, but I wasn't done there. Then I finished the evening with Speed, giving me more Sandra Bullock, of course from Demolition Man, and Keanu Reeves and Dennis Effen Hopper. I, listen, I remember, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but it was a couple of years ago that I sat down and watched Speed again. And... I forgot how much I like that movie. I mean, it's dumb. And listen, you know, the bus can't drop. What was it? 60 miles per hour. There are scenes in that movie when the camera cuts to outside the bus and the bus is clearly driving like 20 miles an hour, right? Where you get, it's so obvious the bus is actually moving at like 20 miles an hour. We can't drop below 65 or whatever the speed was, but it was clear that the bus was going much slower. 
but it didn't matter, right? It didn't matter. The movie's so much fun. And uh, yeah, Keanu Reeves is great in it. Uh, Dennis Hopper's great in it. Sandra, but it's, it's the movie that introduced us to Sandra Bullock. Um, Jeff Daniels. A lot of people forget about Jeff Daniels in that. Jeff Daniels is great in that. So yeah, man, I'm with you on that. I am totally with you. Okay. Let's now move over. Now that we're through all the, the uh, tip questions that you guys sent in, let's now go over and start taking questions for that you guys have sent in via Super Chat. All right. And we'll get things started here with the Wakandan Forever who writes in. The epic battle, Clash of the Titans. Worlds will collide. Baby Yoda versus Muppet Babies. Uh, thank you. No applause, please. I'll be here all week. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that would work out so well. Baby Yoda would just kind of go, eh, and then all the Muppet, ba Muppet Babies would explode. But listen, I'm not going to lie. I liked the Muppet Babies when I was a kid. Muppet Babies. I remember that. I used to like it. All right. Cody Carroll writes, Have you noticed that the new releases that came out on DVD and digital on Thursdays have almost caught up with the last film shown in theaters? Yeah. Well, in many... Here's the thing. We don't even notice it, Cody, because as of right now, like as of right now, uh, a lot of those movies, a lot of the movies that had been coming out as the lockdown was happening, have already, like they did that early move to digital because, you know, they couldn't play in theaters. So a lot of them already made that. So it's like we don't even notice it anymore, but you're right. We're in that cycle now. We're at that part of the cycle. That's a good observation. All right, Nosferatu writes, I'm busy at home reading a, a Perry article, a Perry article, and this is the call I get. My son is a bootleg. Oh, that, that was a stiller. Uh, one of the best Frank Costanza moments, RIP uh, Ben Stiller. Well, uh, Ben Stiller is still alive. Uh, ben Stiller is still alive. Uh, you're talking about uh, his dad. Hold a second. Um, I'm trying to remember the episode. Um, let me see if I can find that episode. Because it was Jerry Stiller. Like, so it's not Ben. Uh, ben is his son, and Ben is still very much alive and well. But yeah, uh, Serenity Now, Festivus for the rest of us. Man, it's just, oh, I was so sad to hear about his passing. And what episode was that one from? Because, of course, he played Jason Alexander. He played Costanza's dad in the show. And it just, oh, my God. Him in that show was so good. Anyway, I can't, I can't find the specific episode that was from. But, yeah, uh, Jerry Stiller. I think the other day I was kept referring to him as Jerry Seinfeld because, of course, he was on Seinfeld. Anyway, Jerry Stiller passed away. It was such a, such a sad thing about that. All right, Captain... Actually, was that Nosferatu we did? Yes. Uh, Captain J10 writes, Hey, John, I totally agreed about what you said about Robert. Uh, he should take note of those two actresses or even Taylor Lautner. He gained 30 pounds of muscle. True. A bit, I mean, but, 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 but in Robert Pattinson's defense when it comes to Twilight, remember in Twilight, he's playing a vampire, right? So Robert Pattinson, there was really no need for him to put on any bulk. Taylor Lautner, though, was supposed to play a werewolf. I think there's a little bit, and he's supposed to be a part of this tribe where I think Taylor Lautner needed to put on that extra body mask because that fit the character. In Robert Pattinson's defense, he didn't really need to do that for that movie. Uh, there was no call for the character to be that way. And a lot of the other vampires were the exact same way, right? So in his defense, it was a little bit of a different scenario for Lautner than it was for, uh, than it was for Pattinson. Uh, Anthony Lucalano writes, Finally watched Guillermo del Toro's first film, Kronos, last night. Not my favorite of his films, but I still thought it was good. Listen, I got a bet a buddy of mine named Randall. All right. I got a buddy of mine named Randall who absolutely adores that. I'm trying to remember uh, who is in that movie. Hold on a second. Let me bring that up. Oh, God. Was that movie in 93? Holy crap. That movie was in 93? 
Anyway, it's this movie that part, partly the theme of it is like a, but the, the, the desperate uh, search and seek for eternal life and all that kind of stuff. Ron Perlman was in, of course, because he loves working with him. Uh, who, but there was somebody else. So I'm trying to remember who it was. Oh, now I can't remember. I remember Ron Perlman was, ever, was in it. But anyway, and my buddy Randall, right? Everything, I don't know what it was, but it's like for him, everything was about Kronos. Kronos all the time. Just freaking loved that movie. All right, uh, let's see here. Anthony Lucalon also writes, I think I might do a double feature tonight of the only two Quentin Tarantino films that I haven't seen, Jackie Brown and Death Proof. Death Proof is easily my least favorite um, Quentin Tarantino movie. It is easily my least favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. It's, it's probably the only Quentin Tarantino movie I don't like. Every like Jackie Brown, dude, you're in for a treat. You're in for a treat with Jackie Brown. <clears throat> but yeah, Death Proof. Now, Death Proof has one of the all-time great car chase scenes. Like one of the all-time great car chase scenes. But yeah, again, it's the only Quentin Tarantino movie I don't like. But for the car chase scene alone, you should watch it. And by the way, you, you should have all of Quentin's films in your repertoire. So absolutely. I think you're going to really like Jackie Brown, though. I think you're going to have a really, really good time with Jackie Brown. All right. Next up, Anthony Lucalon also writes, watch Silent Running, The Wild Bunch, The Witches of Eastwick. I love The Witches of Eastwick. Uh, King Kong 1933, Hugo, Jason and the Argonauts, and Goodfellas recently, all for the first time and love them all. Dude, that is great. You know, we keep hearing from people that during the, the quarantine and the lockdown, stuff like that, making lemonade out of lemons getting out and watching some great classics or whatever that they had never had a chance to watch before. And I love hearing about it. a lot of people watching Godfather for the first time. A lot of people watching Lord of the Rings for the first time. You added a nice bunch of films to your list there. By how good is Jack in the witches of Eastwick? It's not, a, it's not one of his movies that people talk most about, but I love him in that movie a lot. So you obviously added a lot of great ones to your repertoire. Good use of your time, Anthony, good way to make use of your time. All right. Anthony also writes, Watched Mothra. Oh, that's one of Rob's favorites. Watched Mothra, some of the Showa-era Godzilla movies, Shogun Assassin, Mimic. Oh, Mimic is kind of nice. And Amelie. Amelie is like a tw top 20. Remember I talked earlier, Gladiators are my top 20 of all time. Amelie is also in my top 20. Uh, not didn't, Doesn't break in my top 10, but it's in my top 20. Amelie is like... I, I know not everybody's into subtitled movies and stuff like that, but believe me, Amelie is the type of movie that is the reason you're a movie fan. If, if I'm saying that right, if that makes any sense, it's just one of those movies that is one of the reasons you're a movie fan uh, and the reason you watch movies. You should watch that uh, as well. Recently, I loved Amelie. I think it's got to be one of the best films I've ever seen. Top 10 for sure. It is a glorious, magical, just uh, uh, charmer of a movie. So I'm so glad you watched it, Anthony. And please, guys, take Anthony's follow Anthony's lead here. If you have not seen Amelie, I, I get it. Subtitle movies are not for everybody. I understand that. But do yourself a favor and give this one a shot. I think you may be very, very pleasantly surprised. All right. Anthony also writes, also Animal House, John Belushi, uh, might just be my new favorite comedy. Laugh so hard watching it. Watch it the same day that I watch Goodfellas for the first time. That's an interesting doubleheader. Goodfellas to Animal House. Hey, listen, I know a number of people who still consider, who do consider that to be the greatest comedy ever. I, I mean... It's not in my, it, you know, it might be in my top 10. It might be in my top 10. No, you know, it's probably just outside my top 10 of comedies, but it is one of the great classic comedies. And one of the cool things about it is a lot of comic comedies from that era. Comedies are often very much products of the era they're released in. 
So you can watch a lot of comedies that were considered great during their time, and they may not work for you so much today. Some still do. Some like Annie Hall. Some like Animal House. Um, some like Tootsie. The, like these ones are the ones that transcends the eras that they're in, and I think Animal House is definitely one of those. Right? L. Cartoon writes, uh, Illuminati reports a live-action Disney Atlantis is in is in pre-production. I've never heard of them. Is that a good source? Eh, listen, when it comes to stuff like that. 99% of the time, there's nothing to it. And out of the 1% of the time that there is, and sometimes there is, um, if it is real and legitimate, one of the actual trades will report on it at some point. So I would say don't even think about it or worry about it. And just keep your ears open to see if Deadline drops something about it or if The Hollywood Reporter drops something about it or if Variety drops something about it. If you see one of them, then follow up on that and actually say something about that in the next week or two. Then you know it was legitimate. If not, then you can probably just stow it away. So I wouldn't worry about it too much right now. But again, that does not automatically mean that that's not a that they're not a, a, that they're a bad source. It doesn't automatically mean that what they're saying isn't true. All I'm saying is when somebody like them or somebody like me breaks something take it for what it is and then wait until you hear from one of the real major trades right just for confirmation because once they run it they'll make sure they have multiple sources they'll make sure it's rock solid and then we can worry about it otherwise we're going to be talking about all these unsubstantiated fake rumors that are constantly being generated every single day and when really we didn't need to so i would say just wait to see if you can see it on one of the other trades all right roman bryant writes over under 75%, Mandarin is Shang-Chi's is Shang father. Uh, I'm going to go under 75. I, I think there's a very good chance. I think there's a very good chance that they loop that in. Um, that they decide to go that way with the movies. I do think there's a good chance. But 75% is real high, so I'm going to go lower on that. All I know is I'm excited for the movie. I'm very, very excited for the movie. All right, Josh Bing writes, Finally saw Birds of Prey. That film was terrible. Yeah. I, Because you know me, I have liked every single some more than others. I have liked all the DCEU films up till now. I, I mean, I love Man of Steel. I liked Batman vs. Superman. I liked Justice League. I liked Suicide Squad. It's a hot mess of a movie, but I had fun with it. I, just call it the way it is. I had fun with it. And I... Birds of Prey, though, was a bad film. Not the worst of the year. Uh, not one of the worst comic book movies ever made. No, no, nothing like that. But it was a poor film. It was a poor movie. Uh, and I, I was hoping for better out of it, but hey, listen, there are people who watched it and really enjoyed it. And that's the great thing about movies, man. We all see a movie and we all get a different experience out of it. All right. Jesse writes, finished my rewatch of Avatar The Last Airbender last night. And after the epic four part series finale, it cemented its place as a top three show to me. Can't wait uh, till Chris is back so we can geek out about it. Well, I mean, when Chris does come back, we're never going to make a major topic a however many year old show. So that'll probably never be a major topic here until the new live action thing comes. Once the new live action thing comes, there you go. And well, I've never heard anybody tell me it's a top three show of all time to them. I know a lot of people that are very, very enthusiastic about that show that really enjoy uh, Avatar Last Bender. And obviously Chris is definitely one of them. I've never heard anybody speak so authoritatively about uh, airbender as she does she she makes all these explaino videos about airbender it's crazy she she really knows her stuff when it comes to the last airbender so i'm glad you're a fan jesse all right next up frank uh warden writes i would love 
uh, seeing Disney cast Zac Efron as Hercules personally. But if if that happens, what are the odds that he's also cast uh, as Johnny Storm in the MCU? Uh, I mean, X actor and X role. I, I mean, I don't really care about X actor and X role questions. The, the, the only because I don't because I don't care about what actor you get in a role. All I care about is do you get a good actor? Right. So Zac Efron to me is a good actor. So I'm perfectly fine. I mean, he wouldn't be my first choice, but Hercules, I don't think he's got the physical size for it. And Hercules is going to be pretty important that you bring some pretty serious physical size, even though Zac Efron is in fabulous physical condition. Um, and then for the Johnny Storm thing, again, I don't care. All I care about is do you get a good actor? So they could name him and I'd be perfectly fine with it. But they could also name 50 other really good actors and I would be perfectly fine with them as well. Um, but, you know, I, I'd also say this. Just because Disney uses an actor in one franchise doesn't mean they can't use the same uh, that same actor in another franchise. Of course they could. I mean, that just, if... Again, we're speaking totally theoreticals here. If Zac Efron were to play Hercules, that doesn't lessen his chances any more or any less. It doesn't increase his chances. It doesn't lessen his chances of being Human Torch uh, for whatever his chances are about that. I mean, I don't, I don't know and I don't care. But uh, yeah, being in one doesn't mean he will or won't be in the other one, right? So there's that. All right. Uh, next up, Elijah Anderson writes, Hey, John. I am excited for the Batman, but I someday want to see a lighter take. I don't think it's the only, I don't think the only valid take is a dark one because that's ignoring the part of history predating the comics code. Well, I mean, yes, but it is the definitive Batman today. Like the, the character of Batman and our perception of the character of Batman, the most defining event in the history of that character was Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. When The Dark Knight Returns came out, uh, which is probably the most celebrated comic story of all time. When The Dark Knight Returns came out, it redefined how we as an audience viewed the Batman. And for the last 30 years, that has been what Batman is and how we define him. Yes, there was the Adam West days. Yes, there was the, the Detective Comics days. And, and yeah, there was a different character at the time that you could do, but it's not the Batman we know. So, and by the way, by saying that, I'm not necessarily suggesting that any Batman movie has to be, oh, so dark, oh, so dark. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I think there are parts of the Batman character that you have to understand are steeped in darkness. There are elements to the character that are steeped in dark, that, that, are, that are darker in nature. That doesn't mean the whole movie has to be dark. It doesn't mean you have to do that. You can, but it doesn't mean you have to. Um, but but going back to like an, an Adam West style of Batman, I just don't think that is something that would resonate with the audience today. Again, you can have a lighter tone Batman as long as you understand there are elements to the character that have to be darker in nature. And as long as you can capture that, I think the overall tone of the movie can be lighter or darker and that's fine. It's just as long as you get those elements. So it'll be interesting to see how the how this character evolves now even more over time because it's been a long time since the Dark Knight Returns came out. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Interesting observation, Elijah. I like your take on that, man. All right, uh, Arun uh, Bab Baburj Bab Baburaj. 
I'm certain I'm butchering your name. Forgive me for that, man. All right. Hey, John, over under 50%. Tyrese Gibson jokes about you can't see me to John Cena and Fast and the Furious 9. Also, please do watch The Lodge. Good thriller. I've heard The Lodge is good. Uh, anyway, getting back to that thing. I would not be surprised at all. Um, movie franchises like Fast and the Furious and the MCU have started to embrace throwing in little Easter egg jokes a little inside jokes pertaining to the people involved uh, more regularly. Like, just go back again to Thor Ragnarok, right? Taika Waititi, who directed Thor Ragnarok and also did the character of Korg. Of course, Taika Waititi at the time was best known for making his What We Do in the Shadows movie, which is amazing, about these three vampire roommates. And then, of course, he makes a joke in Thor Ragnarok, you know, what do you do with this wooden trident, with the, this pitchfork, this wooden pitchfork? I don't know, kill three vampires? It was clearly an inside joke to that, right? I think that's that's more and more accepted a little bit. It's a little kind of in a way a fourth wall break in some ways. Um, listen, I'm not saying Tyrese Gibson would do it. Maybe John Cena would do it. Like to have John Cena say, you can't see me. But, you know, don't do the this. He won't do this. You can't. But to say, if, if at some point in the movie, I would not be surprised. So I'm going to go over 50% that whether it's John Cena, whether it's Vin Diesel, whether it's Michelle, whether it's Tyrese, whether it's whoever, whether it's Luda, that I will go over 50% that with John Cena in the scene, the line is spoken you can't see me. I wouldn't doubt it, man. I'll go over 50% on that. All right. Clive Roberts writes, uh, New Mutants is like the Khabib and Ferguson fight. It just cursed. It's just cursed. Uh, it's just, oh, man. But it's got a new August release date, man. August 28th. Disney's putting it out in theaters. This is the fifth time it got a release date. Let's see if it holds it this time. Double Crit writes, Grace Randolph made a good point regarding Pattinson. If he truly does end up looking skinny as bats, uh, can't that be treated as his spin on the character? You can. It's a bad idea, but you can. There are just like, like you know me, guys. I think you can take liberties with comic book characters as long as you capture some of those key things that are important to their DNA, right? Batman is supposed to be able to take anybody, right? And if you look at UFC fighters, Daniel Cormier notwithstanding, who's got, yeah, he's got the big belly, but he is massive. Daniel Cormier, DC is massive and strong and whatever. You look at the world's best fighters, they look a certain way. If Batman is supposed to be a guy that is an elite world dominating combat artist, he's going to have to look a certain way. And again, we don't expect him to look like to be as big as Dwayne Johnson. We don't expect him to be as big as Hugh Jackman was as Wolverine. Just be as big as you can uh, and try to match. I think that's an important part of the character. Now, others may disagree, and that's fine. But to me, that is actually a very key, important part of that character. Um, but again, that's just me. All right. L gray, Eli gray writes, Aaron, I hope you're doing better. Of course, Aaron was on the show yesterday. Uh, that situation sucks. Saw your friend Nick is getting, uh, is getting better. So sad about his leg. You're the best. We love you guys. And of course, so Aaron Cummings and, and her husband, Tom, they have a friend who was in their wedding party. Um, uh, Nick, uh, I, I forget his last name, Cordero, I think. And he's been on CNN and in the news a lot because he's a Broadway performer, a television actor, and he went into a coma as a result of the coronavirus. 
and then a complications from that while in the coma they had to, to amputate one of his legs um but after being in a coma for well over a month he's woken up now which is great so he's not out of the woods yet but he has woken up which is wonderful wonderful news and i know aaron and tom are both very very happy about that and um here's hoping his condition just continues to improve he's got a wife and kid so here's just here's Here's a crossed fingers that his condition continues to improve. All right. Frida Fuzzy Paws writes, I love how Aaron just casually meets celebrities. But I mean, that's like a lot of people forget. She's not just some girl who just happened to pop into a TV show here and there. She has been in like so many TV shows and a lot of movies. And she has just moved in these circles. I mean, that's just her. Aaron is a Hollywood actress. She moves in these circles. So she was talking yesterday about how she did a... um, Oh, why am I forgetting the name of, of the girl who plays Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Why am I forgetting your name? Hold a second. Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, Kristen Bell. So Aaron was just talking on the show yesterday about she got on Zoom and did a, like a script read with a bunch of these actors, including Kristen Bell. And they did a table read of a script for, for some charity or something like that. So, but yeah, people just forget that that's the world that Aaron lives in. You know, she is an actress. She's worked with a lot of high profile actors and actresses, and she's been in a lot of shows and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it is it is kind of funny sometimes that these are just the people she crosses paths with and does things with. It's just kind of funny that way. All right. Uh, Andrew Berger writes, hey, John, hope all is well. Uh, it is. Thank you. What's more cursed? The Khabib versus Ferguson MMA fight or the new mutants? Listen, you're not the only one asking that. Somebody else just asked that. I would say at this point, the Khabib Ferguson fight, because not only, at least the New Mutants movie has a release date again. The Khabib versus Ferguson fight is probably never going to happen now. Because Ferguson just got his ass handed to him by Justin Gaethje. So Ferguson doesn't get to fight for the title now. Gaethje gets to fight Khabib. <laughs> Gaethje gets to lose. And let's, let's, let's be honest here. Like I, listen, I know El Kukui. I, I know Ferguson has his fans. And he is a Terminator. He is a badass. He is awesome. I've said forever, Tony Ferguson had no chance against Khabib. He had no chance. I mean, he had a lucky puncher's chance. Sure, that can happen in any fight. Like, he just so happens to catch Khabib with a lucky punch and maybe he wins the fight. Yes, he had a puncher's chance. But that's it. Khabib would have smashed him badly. Um, And so Justin Gaethje steps in there and Justin Gaethje beats up Ferguson. And listen, I'll tell you what, Justin Gaethje will still lose to Khabib. I'm I'm telling you right now, Justin Gaethje will lose to Khabib, but Justin Gaethje has a better chance of beating Khabib, I think, than anybody else on the planet right now. I don't think there's anybody, not Conor McGregor, not Ferguson, not anybody. Justin Gaethje has the better chance because he is also an all-state wrestler. And if you can grapple and defend the takedowns, of Khabib, you could give him some fits. You could give him some fits. Khabib is still going to win the fight, but I'm telling you, Justin Gaethje has a better chance than anybody of, of beating him. So, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see the Khabib Ferguson fight now. I don't think we're ever going to see that fight. All right, Mike Thompson writes, guess we really can't talk about movies starting their marketing too early anymore. Uh, new <laughs> Let's see where you're going with this. New Mutants will forever hold the record at three and a half years between when the first trailer uh, and the release of the actual film. Yeah, it's true. We talked about that the other day. When August 28th comes around, it's going to be roughly three and a half years. First of all, it's going to be 
when this movie comes out on August 28th, if it comes out on August 28th, it will be nearly two and a half years, nearly two and a half years since its original release date. Think about that. Think about that. When that movie comes out on August 28th, it will nearly be almost two and a half years since its original release date back in 2018. It's crazy. And then the first trailer came out like a year before that. So you're right, man. Good observation. It's like we can't complain about that anymore. All right. Uh, Doug uh, Tarnovian writes, New Mutants was just announced when I was a freshman. Now I just finished high school. This better be good. That's how you put it into context. That is that is the best way to put it in context. The, the movie was announced when you were a freshman and you're graduated now and the movie still hasn't come out. That's that's as good of an analogy and a good example. Uh, I'm putting it into context as I've seen for this whole New Mutant situation, man. It's, uh, that was a great way to put it. All right. Mike Thompson writes, uh, not hating on Mandalorian, but it does seem like it's all Disney Plus has to offer in the way of new content. We've heard nothing from the MCU shows or anything completely original in months. Uh, aside from a few things targeted specifically for young children, was it really wise for them to launch as basically a one-show network? Listen, I, I have been openly critical of Disney Plus... Look, I was as, as excited as anybody when they launched it. I was as excited as anybody. They have a really good deep library and they were launching with Mandalorian, which I thought was fantastic. But the fact that they weren't going to have any other high profile marquee property launch for like five or six months after Mandalorian I think it was pretty piss poor. And I think that's taking your audience for granted. Ah, let the sheep sign up. They don't, they'll, we'll give them something when we're good and ready to give it to them. And then they'll like it. They'll like it. And listen, I'm a big Disney fan. You all know this. I love Disney. But you look at Netflix and Netflix is putting out 32 new pieces of content every hour. It's crazy how much stuff Netflix is putting out. Say, man, we got all these subscribers. We better treat them right. Let's give, keep giving them new content, new shows, new movies, whatever. Some good, some terrible, but you know we're keeping keeping the new shows. How Disney launched with no plan for what comes after Mandalorian? Nothing. Nothing for like three months, four months, five months, six months, and now we don't even know how long it's going to be because everything's been delayed now. But I've been very critical of that. They, it would have been better if they waited six, seven, eight more months to launch and then launched when you can launch with Mandalorian. And then once Mandalorian was done, two or three weeks later, a new big marquee show launches and then let that finish its run. And then, you know, a few weeks after that's done, give it a few weeks break, launch another one. They should have launched with something like that and said, I have not been a fan of what they've been doing. And listen, I am still a subscriber to Disney Plus, but I'm seriously considering canceling my membership. There's just simply nothing there for me to watch to make it worth me having a membership. And then maybe I'll join back up once you get, uh, once you get, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier coming and we got WandaVision coming and stuff like that. But right now I'm not really sure why I still have my membership. It's just, yeah, Mike. So I, I feel you, man. I feel you. I, I, I completely agree with you. All right. Uh, Preston Bell writes, we owe a lot of the victory in Endgame to a little rat. It's true. It's true. Uh, thanks to that rat in the van, we discovered not only that Scott Lang was still alive, but that the quantum realm allowed for time travel. Yep. 
I mean, really, when you think about, listen, but it's no different than Star Wars, right? It's no different from Star Wars. Think about it. In the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, when the Jawas bring the droids to the Skywalker moisture farm, and they're unloading all their droids, and Uncle Owen comes out and says, okay, I'll take, uh, I'll take the protocol droid. I have no need for a protocol droid. Of course you don't, sir. That's why I need somebody to understand the binary language. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm fluent in seven minutes. So he picks C-3PO. But he doesn't pick R2. He picks R5, the red one. And R2's like, oh, I'm sad. And C-3PO's like, can't say anything, but doesn't want to be separated from R2. So whatever. Uncle Owen picked C-3PO and R5 instead of R2. Separating 3PO and R2. And by the will of the force or by pure luck, R5 blows his motivator. And it's beer, beer, and he explodes. Hey, Uncle Owen, this one's got a bad motivator. Hey, what are you trying to push on me? And then he goes, all right, uh, excuse me, sir, but that blue one is a real bargain. Hey, Uncle Owen, what about the blue one? Fine, give me the blue one. And that set the history of Star Wars, right? If R5, if R think about that. If R5 doesn't blow his gasket and and break down, then R2 never gets hooked up with with uh, Luke and then Obi-Wan and leave them to the Death Star and the message from the princess and blah, 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 blah. And it all falls apart, all because of a lucky break. R5's power motor, motivator blew all because of that lucky break. Star Wars was able to happen. And sometimes lucky breaks or unlucky breaks in life set apart or set in motion major events. And so, yes, in Endgame, that little rat stumbling across the dashboard in that van freeing Scott from the quantum realm. If that didn't happen, Endgame doesn't happen, right? We don't get it. Endgame doesn't happen. So, yeah, it's true, Preston. But again, like breaks of luck. It's not unheard of for them to play a major part in some big movies, including Star Wars. So I don't hold that against them, but it is funny when you think about it. A rat scrambling across a dashboard is what brought back the MCU. Much like a, a Red 5 blowing his thing led us to Star Wars. It's, it's just what happens, man. It's what happens. All right. Let's see here. Taj and Cars writes. I'd love to see Tom Holland's Spider-Man in a buddy detective style team up movie with Shuri. Oh, God. Listen, I just... Give me anything with Shuri. She is she instantly in Black Panther became one of my favorite um, uh, characters in the MCU. And I am forgetting the I know the actress's name and I'm uh, I'm forgetting. It. And she's by the way, in the movie, she's supposed to be like his 17 year old sister. She's like 24, or 25 years old. Um, uh, what's her name again? Where is she? Um, Letitia Wright. Oh, my God. Letitia Wright. Not only. Is she like the smartest character in the MCU? And by the way, she's 27. Okay. She's 27 years old. Letitia Wright. Uh, actually, let me pull up uh, an image of her here. Uh, just, to, just so we can get a, uh, a picture of this. Letitia Wright. Uh, Letitia Wright is not only this incredibly cool character in Black Panther. Um, she is like stupid beautiful. 
Letitia Wright is like all some kind of stupid, beautiful man. Uh, is she, and just the way she carries herself and the way the character, like the Shuri character is so cool and she's witty. And again, the, produ- the producers, the MCA say not Tony Stark. Shuri is the most intelligent person in the MCU. That's what Kevin Feige and the producers in the MCU say, that this character is the smartest character in the MCU. Like not, not Hank Pym, not Tony Stark, not any of the rest of them. She's the smartest character in the MCU. And they just, I love, and then she's sassy and funny and sexy and just like everything rolled into one. Like that Shuri character is just a whole lot of awesome rolled into one. So, uh, yeah, sign me up to see a Tom, to see a Spider-Man and Shuri team up movie. Sign me up, man. I'm there. All right. Let's see. John Ashford writes, as an Air Force vet, Top Gun is an... By the way, I realized this after the fact. I said the other day, it's like, oh, a good military movie outside of like Army or Marines. Like you got uh, whatever is in the... I mentioned was the Navy and then uh, Top Gun is represents the Air Force. Maverick was not in the Air Force. He was in the Navy. And I realized that after I did the show. It was a total gaffe on my part, John. Anyway, as an Air Force vet, Top Gun is an Air Force. It's Navy. We only have good We only have good morning Vietnam. All right. Yeah, I, I knew I made a gaffe on that one immediately. So you're totally right to point that out. You are totally right to point that one out. All right. Uh, uh, Speedy WTF sends in a $3 super chat just to be supportive. Thank you, Speedy. Appreciate that. And guys, we have already gone almost like a half hour over time. So we're just going to wrap up with a couple of more questions here. And then we're going to wrap it up for the day. Uh, Helsing, uh, Helsing Promise writes, Hey, John, love you, mate. Thank you so much, man. Have you ever seen the movie? Why don't you just, oh God, that's the Russian movie. Right? Anyway, uh, have you ever seen the movie? Why don't you just die? It's my favorite movie right now. Now I recommend. Okay, listen, I haven't watched it yet. But I had a buddy of mine send me the trailer. I had never even heard of it. <clears throat> Actually, let me make sure this is the right movie I'm thinking of here. Hold a second. Uh, why won't you just die uh, IMDb? Let me just make sure this is the right one I'm thinking of. Yes, this is the right one. Okay, so it's this Russian film, right? And so my buddy sends me this trailer. It's like, John, I don't know if you've even heard of this, but you got to watch this trailer. I'm like, all right. Oh, my God. It felt like a... It felt like a Guy Ritchie, Quentin Tarantino movie. It's just this wild thing. It's this older Russian dude who's like a fixer. Um, and I think he's like he's a killer of some kinds, but he's got a daughter who hates him. And there's this guy she's... Anyway, it's... If you, I have, so I haven't seen the movie yet, but I got to watch this movie because I saw this trailer and I was like, this looks bonkers. Let me see if I can bring it up here uh, just, to, just so you guys can know. Okay. So here, here it is on IMDb. Let me bring it up here. Here it is on IMDb. It's called, why won't you just die? It's, it's subtitled cause it's in Russian. It's it's brutal comedy, at least from the look of it from the trailer. I saw this trailer and I just got instantly hooked. I, I want to see this so badly. I want to see this so badly. So no, I have not watched it yet, but it, I have. I am determined to watch it at some point. So thanks for giving me your recommendation on that, Helsing Promise. I appreciate that. All right, uh, let's see here. Hoser Miaz writes, uh, Gendy uh, Tarakovsky's Popeye movie is back on track. I have not heard of that. I have not heard that. I thought the, the any ideas for a Popeye thing died ages ago, but it, they're really it's back. I'll have to look into that. I'll have to look into that. Thank you for putting that on my radar. Might be something that Robert and I have to talk about on Monday. All right. Sahil writes, 
Hey, John, on behalf of all of us Campia and, and cosplay fans, please send our congrats to Anne on her graduation day. I will do that. Thank you. That was very nice of you to send that in, and I will make sure I definitely pass it on to Anne. I'm sure she will be tickled to hear that. So thank you so much. It's very thoughtful of you, man. All right. Next up, Scott Brown writes, a great British TV show I would highly recommend is Orphan Black. I've watched a bunch of Orphan Black. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. And Tatiana uh, Maslany, Ma I've always pronounced her last name like, like Maslany, uh, puts on an acting clinic. It's on Amazon Prime where she plays like 175 different characters. I mean, it's not that many, but it's a lot. of. She plays like a lot of different roles. I remember I got hooked on it from episode one and I never finished it. It's a lot like what's another series to me that it's, it's a lot to me like Better Call Saul. I watched a bunch of it and then for what and I liked it and for whatever reason I don't know why I just never got back around to keep watching it Orphan Black is like that for me a huge huge hit with a lot of people I know and a lot of my friends absolutely adore that thing so I will get around to finishing that off at some point definitely because everybody just talks about it's just strong from start to finish and Tatiana is terrific I believe she's a good Canadian girl if I'm not mistaken I could be wrong about that but I think she's a good Canadian kid anyway um, let's see Wakanda Forever watch whoa Oh, this is the great. Oh, that's from The Greatest Showman. Whoa, this is The Greatest Show. I love The Greatest Showman. I love that movie. I love the music in it, too. Uh, let's see. Wakanda Forever also writes, remember Celebrity Deathmatch? Sly Rambo versus Rocky versus Arnold Terminator Predator. What is the Celebrity Deathmatch you would like to see? Don't care. I, I, I remember it, but I don't remember that much, so I don't really have one on my radar. Uh, sorry, guys. I'm going to try to get through as many as I can here before we wrap up. Wakanda Forever also writes, John, have you ever met a hater doing better than you? Haters see you walk on water, then say you can't swim. Love the haters. They're your biggest fans. Um... I'm not quite really quite sure where you're going with that. No, I've never had, I've never met anybody um, that, you know, was what, what you would define as a hater. I've, I've never met anybody uh, that was, but listen, uh, what's his name? Um, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, <laughs> why am I fre freezing on the name of the biggest radio celebrity of all time? Stern. If you ever listen to, to Stern, you know, Stern says you're not doing your job right if you don't have a bunch of people who don't like you. If you're in this type of a business, if you don't have at least a certain segment of people who don't like you, you're not doing your job right. And I remember I heard that very early on when I was in my AMC days. And I remember very early on uh, hearing that because here's the thing. The only way you can do what I do and not have at least some group of people not like you, and that's perfectly fine, is if you don't, if you're not honest. That's the only way. That's the only way, is if you're not honest. If you, you know, and, and I've see, I know there are some people online who just say what they think everybody wants to hear them say, and that's fine, but it's not me and it's never going to be me. The only thing I have to offer to my audience is my honest thoughts. And again, my job is not to say things that people agree with. And my job is not to try to convince people to change their minds and agree with me. My job is to give my opinion on something and hopefully give it in such a way that it helps the people listening sharpen their understanding about why they agree with me or why they disagree with me. And I say this all the time. If somebody watches one of my shows and walks away with a better, clearer picture about why they completely disagree with me, then I consider my job done. 
And, you know, one of my favorite things, you know, I often have people write in, you know, to John at the John show.com or write into um, a, a main topic on the show at the John show.com slash contact. They'll often write in. So, you know, John, I watch you every day, even though I hardly ever agree with you. It's like, that's my favorite kind of audience because we're not here to just agree with each other. We are here to do this. So no, I've never met anybody like that, but that's perfectly fine. But again, if I ever get into a day and, or age where I don't have some of those people, then I'm not doing my job right. And uh, I, I will take uh, Stern's advice on that. I will take Stern's advice on that. All right, Max Papineau writes, Hey, John, greetings from uh, Stratford, Ontario. I love Stratford. I used to drive up there every once in a while. I love Stratford. Beautiful place. Um, if you had to choose between the Iron Man or Thor trilogy from the MCU, what would you say is better? Thanks and keep up the great work. Thor. Pretty easily. Thor. Um, the reason being is, while Thor The Dark World was definitely one of the weaker films in the MCU, the first Thor movie, I believe, is the uh, most underrated uh, MCU movie there is. I think the first Thor film is the most underrated MCU movie. I think it's a b just brilliant, brilliant movie on many levels. And then Thor Ragnarok is just a completely different kind of movie. It's absolutely bonkers. In Iron Man, you know, there's only really Iron Man 1 that is really great. Uh, Iron Man 2 is kind of a disaster. I mean, it's not garbage or anything. Don't get me wrong. It's not garbage. And Iron Man 3 had a lot of people upset at it. Although I like Iron Man. I like Iron Man 3, but I get why people are upset about the whole Mandarin thing. I understand that. But yeah, so overall, I, I definitely go with the, the Thor trilogy. I'll take the Thor trilogy over the Iron Man trilogy. But that's just me. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Marcus, um, uh, Marcus Orlewitz writes... You are going to love the Mandalorian documentary episode three. Oh, man, you're the second person to write in today to say that. You are the second person to write in today to say that. And I, I'm so happy to hear people say that because you remember, I really liked the first episode. The first episode of the Mandalorian documentary, I really enjoyed. But as much as I enjoyed that is how much I hated the second one. The second one was such a waste of time. So I'm really happy to hear people writing in saying, John, you're really going to like episode three. So I'm excited. I can't wait to watch. I'll probably watch it a little bit later tonight uh, myself. All right. Um, uh, GGHHO writes, John, have you seen the 18 minute presentation of Ghosts of uh, Tsushima for PS4? It's a gorgeous open world samurai game with badass combat. Isn't that is that the same one that they did the big first preview for? back at the video game awards last year because i remember them doing like a big presentation of that and i remember thinking oh my god there's like it's a big open world samurai game right if it's the same one i'm thinking of it looked gorgeous it looked absolutely beautiful like it was something right out of one of those jet lee era movies like a uh, hero or something i mean that's that's kind of what it like what it felt like. like i have no idea if the gameplay is any good or not but if it's that same game i'm thinking of it looks gorgeous and i'm kind of anxious maybe to get my hands on it and give it a try all right Last question today, guys. Uh, this one comes to us from Julius Goodwin, who writes, I was thinking about this earlier, but is it wrong to call Iron Man one of the most important movies in cinema history? Had it not succeeded, the MCU would not exist in its current form or not at all. Um, no, no, I, I think here's here's why. I think if Iron Man, listen, Iron Man succeeding on the level that it succeeded definitely helped. It definitely helped. 
But I think if Iron Man didn't work, I think that it would have been the first one they did that didn't work. And I really do think they would have moved forward and done their Captain America movie and done their Thor movie and gotten the momentum going. It's great and it was beneficial that they came out of the gate strong with that first Iron Man film. I would argue that the Avengers film, the first Avengers film was far more important because, you know, while Captain America, the first Avengers is great. The first Thor is great. The first Iron Man is great. They were just good individual movies, right? They were just good individual movies and they had a certain level of success Nowhere near the success that MCU movies enjoy today, but they enjoyed a certain level of success and they were good and all that kind of stuff. But the MCU defined its identity with the Avengers. It's the Avengers that defined what the MCU was. It was the first time ever that a movie like that had ever been made. We're going to take this movie franchise hero and this movie franchise hero and this movie franchise hero and then a couple of other heroes that we know from the comics but we haven't seen in this franchise yet and we're going to all bring them together in this big team-up movie it had never been done before and there were a lot of question marks going into it you know we all think now oh yeah obviously it was going to work at the time there was a lot of question marks we were all excited, but how can you have this many big main characters and not make it feel watered down and not make it feel diluted and not make it feel this? And how are you going to do with the clash of characters of all these different types? And how are you going to make it feel like a big cohesive story and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff? It was Joss Whedon's The Avengers that established what the MCU was. Right. It was that movie that laid out the blueprint and the DNA for what it meant for a Marvel movie to be. And all Marvel movies that have come since all of the Marvel movies that have come since have been genetic children of that Avengers movie. Because if that Avengers movie didn't work, if the first Iron Man didn't work, they would have tried it again. They would have come back with their Captain America movie, with their Thor movie, and they would have gotten on track. But if that Avengers movie didn't work the first time ever trying something like that, and if that didn't come out and crush it, the MCU today would look very, very different. It would be very, very different. And it would change the trajectory of what they were going to try to do after that. It was that movie. Iron Man was, was great. Captain America First Avenger was great. Thor was great. But it was that movie that proved we can bring that comic book world to the big screen. In the way you've always imagined, but never thought could actually be done. And that was the movie that did it. So I'm not downplaying the importance of the first Iron Man and its success, of course. But the most important movie in the history of the MCU was that first Avengers movie. And I would argue the most important movie in the entire of the fact that the comic book genre dominates the box office today is that Avengers movie. And, and it, it really is. Um, so... Yeah, I might, I might go as far as to say that. Anyway, listen, guys, there are still a bunch more questions to go. We've got Dan Ketchum, uh, Alton, uh, Ben Burnside, uh, all the way down. Bunch more questions to come. But listen, guys, do not worry. We're going to do an open mic tomorrow morning here on the show. And we're going to start off the show by getting through these questions that we still had left over. Because we still have a number of questions left over. We're going to start off tomorrow's show getting through your questions first on open mic tomorrow. So, guys... 
That will do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show, uh, one that came a little bit later in the day. Again, my apologies that we couldn't do it at 9 a.m. like we normally do. But uh, like I said, I had some exciting things going on that I had to go and take care of that hopefully in the next few months I'll be able to talk to you guys about. Um, but listen, guys, special thank you to all of you who sent in questions, not just because you gave us great fun things to talk about, it, but also because you supported the channel while you were doing it. And all of us here on the John Campy YouTube channel from me and Rob and Aaron and Jonathan and Ray, all of us here. Thank you guys very, very much for that. It means a lot to us. It really does. Don't forget, guys, we will do open mic again tomorrow where we'll pick up on some of our leftover questions here. And then Robert and I will be back again, of course, on Monday for another episode of the John Campus Show back at its regular scheduled 9 a.m. starting time. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campus Show. Thank you so much, guys. Please make sure you do the four big things. Please stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you. And if we all do that, we're going to get through this stuff sooner rather than later. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for now. My name is John Cabe. Until next time, my friends. Bye bye.